I'm I'm canny. No scenes, languages, nothing. No extras. Bare bones. I would have thought there'd be like hidden extras, but nothing. Well, we we'll, we we'll turn that off then. No, I didn't use the DVD in the end. Right, I mean, my audio seems to be okay. Your audio okay? The timeline is fine. Maybe Officer I could. X is coming for you. Welcome to episode three, series one of the timeline. With me, Robin Smith, I've got my good old friend, Limber Bond. <laughs> That's how he talks, apparently. I should lean back a bit from the mic. I've noticed whenever we record something, I, I always get my peas picked up pretty peas. painfully. <laughs> so they always peak. They always peak. <laughs> um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn some bits off. Peak, see? Look peak. at that. Peak, peak, peak. Mine doesn't Not peak so bad. Well, really I'm really close. Your, yours is a bit further away from your mouth. Though. I always talk quite quietly as well, I think. That's yes, fine. you need to be a bit more confident when you're talking. A bit more louder. Assertive. Sometimes I end up doubling up your audio. Because I'm so quiet, you see. You're humble. So, welcome to episode two, or episode three, because I forget we did Generation X last time, of the timeline. How are you doing then? But how's things been for the last? It's been a couple of weeks. It's been really. A couple of weeks. Maybe a month, just about. Just about a month, yeah. Nothing much changed. Still full of the work, so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still like I I fell ill last week with an intestinal mm. infection that wasn't pleasant. Uh, I lost about eight pounds in two days. It's crazy when you can't eat properly. Yeah. Your body's like, yep. Well, done with that. Done with that. <laughs> just flush it away. Eject it all out. <laughs> Most of it's probably water weight because your body's like, yep, done, done. Yeah, you notice how much water <laughs> retention it is. Yeah. And then it's like, I don't feel quite so bad about my weight now because <laughs> a lot of it isn't me, it's liquid. I drink too much. But then like, I'm at the gym that like, not too long ago, about this time last year now. And I'm on their special weighing thing. It tells you how hydrated you are. And it's like, you're dehydrated. I'm like, That's not possible. Those machines are a bit dodgy though. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> They're not 100% accurate, like... It's not like being at a proper doctor's or, or specialist. You have to go for a proper scanner to, like... Yeah. But, I mean, they're, they're somewhat accurate, but they're not... It's, just, it's, it's, it's a tool. Yeah. It's a nice bit of extra help. So, um, you're recovered from Generation X. I've recovered from Generation X, yes. And we've sat down and we've watched X-Men 2. Or, oh, X2. Or X2 X-Men United. <laughs> Why it's got so many names, I don't know. It's probably called something else somewhere else. I don't know if it's called X2, though. Is this... Yeah. <laughs> you would, if you didn't know what it was, it would confuse things. Because I look at for Disney Plus, I'm like, where is it? <laughs> it's like X2. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I, while I did pick up the DVD, we did watch it, both of us, on Disney Plus. Yeah. Because they've got... This isn't going to be an advert for Disney Plus, by the way. But they've got a version of it, which is... Um, Relatively good streaming quality. It looks for me. Good, yeah. Um, but it's got HDR visuals and, and, and colours. So it's like, yeah, that's not bad. I'll, I'll watch it that way. And from what I remember watching that film, because I've seen this a, a good number of times now, it's no different from the cut we have on our Power DVDs. I do know that obviously 
the streaming versions of some films on Disney Plus are the same as PAL versions, but in some cases, like Zootopia, Zootopolis, yeah. or Zootropolis. Never seen them, but... <laughs> it's an alright little film. But depending on where you are, it's got a different name. But on Disney Plus, it might have the American name instead of having the... Oh. the it's like Avengers, Avengers uh, Assemble. Because, uh, yeah, the American Avengers film is just called Avengers because in the UK we've got The Avengers, which was that TV series in the oh, yeah, 60s, yeah. 70s. You know? <laughs> and then there was that Sean Connery starring movie in the late 90s. This is like, curse you all. Yeah. They could buy that down, though. Of course, but they don't want to uh, do it. No. From what I can tell, it's all the same film that we're watching. Uh, so we should... Uh, I mean, I'm assuming I remember about X-Men 2. Not a lot, actually. Because no, I've, I've watched X-Men Last Stand a lot more than X-Men 2, for some reason. Oh, sweet, why yeah, is yeah. this? Yeah, like, you stand, <laughs> Last Stand. For some reason, I've, I remember that film. I've seen that film so many times, but X-2, I can't remember seeing that much. For some reason, mm. so I was like, I don't remember this ever happening next to like the whole opening scene. I was like, I don't remember this happening. Like, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I don't. We'll we'll talk about last time when we get there. But it's interesting that that's the one that you've seen the most. Um, I I, I can remember a lot of this beat for beat, having seen the others yeah. and reflecting on other films since. And being a bit more critical in the past about things, kind of developing that sort of thought process. Yeah. It's interesting seeing the qualities the film has now. Um, and, I mean, I don't want to go too into it, but I, I'm relatively impressed by it. I think they're quite smart with the, the, the effects. They don't use too many... They don't, they don't have too many special effects... They keep it all relatively like mostly in cam. They could put it on camera, like put mm. like strings somewhere as well, but none mm. of it's like over the top crazy. Yeah, we've gotten used to the overly bombastic yeah. superhero film. And while this has larger set pieces than the first film, they are set pieces that are restrained by limitations yeah. of, of what the story's trying to do. You're not going to get an Avengers style like fight scene this one, like. No. Um, but at the same time, there's also the elements of. Like the pacing, the story, yeah. the these individual scenes, setups for certain yeah. things later on. Everything is hundred times better than the first film. You a lot of the storytelling is stronger. You you think going back to it, it's aged. It's not aged perfectly, but it's there are elements that have aged better like, compared to what we're used to now. But the the purer storytelling aspects of the 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 film and seeing a lot of the payoffs happening as they go. It was really interesting. It's a really good film, I think. Better than I remember, um, but not as good as people say it. It's, it's weird. I think we'll get over that when we get to it. Let's get into who's been introduced because since the last film we've had a few new bits and pieces so there's some new actors have joined the 
film, uh, the franchise, as William Stryker. We've got Brian Cox, or Brian Dennis Cox, CBE, born 1st of June 1946. We're going to talk about people's dates of birth later as well. <laughs> Is a Scottish actor who works in film, television and theatre. Everybody knows Brian Cox. We're talking about the good Brian Cox, not the bad Brian Cox. The scientist Brian Cox has got some bad opinions on certain things <laughs> and uh, again has uh, gotten in, in some... Mm. Uh, he has worked exclusively with the Royal Shakespeare... Uh, extensively, sorry, with the Royal Shakespeare Company where he gained recognition for his betrayal of King Lear. He was the first actor to portray Hannibal Lecter on film in 1986's Manhunter. Have you ever oh, seen Manhunter? No. Never seen that? that it's it's no. like, uh, you, I think it's the adaptation of Red Dragon, the first oh. version of that film, that book. Um, as the amazing Nightcrawler, Kurt Wagner, and coming OBE, was born 27th of January 1965, and is a Scottish-American actor, comedian, singer, writer, filmmaker, and activist who has acted in numerous films, television shows, and plays. His best-known film roles include his performances in Emma and Goldeneye before this. Now, we'll, we'll cover things people have done between films, and when they finally leave the canon or series, we'll talk about what they've done since. Um, so... If I've not mentioned something, that's why it's not here yet. Um, as Lady Deathstrike or Yuriko Uyama, Kelly Ann Hu, born uh, February 13th, 1968. Um, she's actually Chinese, not Japanese, but she's playing a Japanese character. Another oh. another uh, running, don't, don't, don't internet, that, running, <laughs> running thing of people playing different ethnicity. At least it's somebody of Asian descent. That's better than some I mean she really they don't, they don't reference her ethnicity in the film it's like, yeah it's not clear, she, clearly important yeah. to the role in this film but the character is traditionally yeah. a Japanese really. character in the comics as well um, we, we'll talk about the character a little bit later um, is an American actress uh, voice artist former fashion model and beauty queen who was Miss Teen USA in 1985, Miss Hawaii in USA in 1993. She also starred in numerous films, including The Scorpion King and Cassandra, Cradle to the Grave, as Sona. Oh. Um, although he came up uh, last time uh, as Iceman or Bobby Drake as Sean Ashmore. Uh, Sean Robert Ashmore was born October 7th, 1979. Is a Canadian film and television actor, and since his brief appearance in the first X-Men movie, he has had appearances in Wolf Girl, Past, Present, and in Disney Channel original movie Cadet Kelly. I don't know if you've ever seen that DVD knocking around. Nah, I'll, nah. Be, I'll be skipping that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I might, we may end up watching it as part of the show. And lastly, as Pyro, uh, John Allardyce... Allardyce? Allardyce. See, I almost Not got Sam Allardyce. <laughs> I almost got through all of them without me messing a name up, but is Aaron Stanford. He was born December twenty seventh, nineteen seventy six, and he's an American actor. He he's I'll say now he's not done a lot of work that has been recorded, but I'm sure he's done a fair amount of work. Uh, for returning cast and crew, uh, we'll briefly, briefly mention that this is the second film directed by Brian Singer, and that's all we're going to say about the man um, for now. 
Uh, it was written by Michael Doherty and Dan Harris and David Hayter. Developed from a story by singer Hayter and Zach Penn. Middle uh, year. <laughs> we shall go into a bit of the story development. Um, uh, as for the cast themselves, as Professor Charles Xavier, again, Professor X, Sir Patrick Stewart, OBE. Uh, since X-Men, he had starred in 2001's Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius, as King Goobot. I think it's the movie of that series. Never seen it, but... Oh, I know it was popular with some people. It, like, it has terrible animation, I know. <laughs> um, and most notably, in 2002, he played for the last time Captain Jean-Luc Picard in Star Trek Nemesis. Wow, last time's a bit of a... Well, <laughs> last. This, this is like... At that time, yeah, yeah it would have been last. Last real version of that character. Uh, people have opinions about that new series. As Eric Lanchure or Magneto, Sir Ian Murray McKellen, CHCBE, in the two years since X Men, he kept himself busy with a little movie called, uh, that called. The <laughs> I'll say that again. <laughs> with a little movie that could. called uh, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, as Gandalf the Grey. And it's uh, a little-known sequel, 2002's The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, as Gandalf the White. Legendary I don't know character. I don't know if you've ever seen this this film. I've heard it's all right. I've heard it's coming out on 4K Blu-ray soon. No, it's not already, already, it's already out. That's the only way to watch Lord of the Rings, sorry, extended version. Really. See, <laughs> I, I, I would... If you've watch, got the time. I would, yeah, if you've got like a week to give up. I would because I've got two different versions of the on DVD. I've got the extended knocking around. Like the te- the extended version on tape, it doesn't obviously doesn't need changing. Cause it's one long reel of tape. But it has different scenes as well to the other oh, versions. Was it interestingly? Um, just there's always little tiny differences. I, I noticed that like two towers. There's that scene where all the orcs. I don't want to go too much into <laughs> Lord of the Rings. There's that scene with all the orcs where they stop and they start complaining they haven't eaten for days. You remember that one? Yeah. We ain't had fresh meat for three stinking days. You know that one. Um, that's got different versions of that scene per each film. That's quite cool. Actually. It's not just a different extra scenes added for the extended version. It's a completely different mm-hmm. cut. So it's really interesting. I've always found. Um, anyway, uh, the the 4K Blu-rays, like I say, they're they're the extended two discs for each. Version of that film. I'm going to get eventually when I drop in price. Um, <laughs> and I do remember that one of the DVDs had one disc for the whole film. So it's not for any logistical reason. But in this case, maybe they've got loads of stuff on them. And obviously, the quality of the visual is different. So um, you, know, you pull up with that sort of thing. It'd be, it'd be nice one day to get a version of it where you don't have to change a disc somewhere. Um, that's my moan. <laughs> Done with. Um, as Logan or Wolverine, Hugh Michael Jackman. Uh, after the success of X-Men, Jackman appeared in not one, not two, but three films. Oh. <laughs> Someone Like You as Eddie, Swordfish as Stanley J- Jobson, and cinemac- cinematic masterwork Kate and Leopold as Leopold, Alexis, Elijah, Walker, Thomas, Gareth, Mountbatten. Never seen any of them. But X-Men was kind of his coming out pie, wasn't it? Yeah. He kind, uh, kind of put him on the map, but yeah. like... You'd seen him around in a couple of other things before. But yeah, he's definitely the thing that made him a star. Although he would have been filming a couple of those or doing yeah. some work on a couple of those before then. I suppose it was more that they were more promoted yeah. after he came along. Um, as Dr. Jean Grey, uh, uh, 
Famic and Jessen has also had a trio of films starring in uh, Maida's Jessica in Don't See a Word as Agatha Aggie Conrad um, and in I Spy as Rachel White alongside Eddie Murphy and Owen Wilson, I think. Um, as Aurora Monroe or Storm, Halle Berry, for her two years away, she uh, had parts in Swordfish as Ginger Niles in Monster's Ball, which she got the Oscar for, I think. Best, a- best actress. Uh, I may be misremembering. Um, as Letitia Musgrove. And in 2002, she landed the role of the next Bond girl in Die Another Day as uh, Jancinta Jinx Johnson, where she worked as a member of the CIA, I think. But she, her Bond girl in that film was interesting because it was probably the first time a female lead and Bond girl was treated like as competent yeah. as Bond, you know. Um, and also she recreated that famous scene of the Bond girl coming out of the water on the beach in the that. first Bond film. Almost exactly the same outfit. Um, but obviously being a, a person of colour yeah. changes that somewhat as well. She's like, as a film goes and as a role goes, that's quite quite a striking you know, role to get. And I suppose it's because she was also an Oscar winner it gave her some leverage yeah. to, like, this person's important. It's, you know. When you win an Oscar, everyone's like, let's get him on a film. Yeah. Because <laughs> then you can put Oscar winner. I mean, Halle Berry. Oscar winner, <laughs> respected actress. Yeah. And, you know, she was, con- she used to be an ex, ex like, model. Yeah. So she's like, oh, she's good looking as yeah. well. So she's going to be a Bond girl. Mm. It's like, it ticks all those boxes for people, you know. Not that she isn't deserving of it, no, obviously. No. <laughs> Anna Penquin, uh, she had been very busy appearing in Almost Famous, which you mentioned last time. Um, a film with Sean Connery called Finding Forrester, uh, Buffalo Soldiers, uh, Darkness, which is like a really cheap-looking sort of ghost film, I think, and 25th Hour. So she did a lot in that year, um, in that Periods uh, as Scott Summers or Cyclops, uh, James Marston had been in Sugar and Spice as Jack Bartlett, Zoolander as John Wilkes Booth, as previously mentioned in episode one, and Interstate 60 episodes of The Road, uh, episodes of The Road as Neil Oliver, as Mystique, Rebecca Romain. Um, since then, she'd been in Femme Fatale as Laura Ash or Lily Watts, maybe two two roles or a role with two names. Um, Rollerball as Aurora and played herself in Run, Ronnie, Run. Uh, she was in Simone as Faith, although this is uncredited. And also as Mystique, is, uh, as Mystique in disguise as Senator Robert Kelly, is Bruce Davidson in his last bit in this series. He was uh, in Crazy Beautiful Summer Catch and High Crimes uh, and Dharma as uh, Lionel Dharma. Uh, so uh, there's a few notable characters this time around. As last time, we're keeping track of our Jubilee tally. We're up to third actress to play Jubilation Lee. Um, Jubilee is being played by Kia Wong in this film. That's uh, three out of three. Uh, she is interestingly there's a cut scene with her actually using her powers in X2 but okay. she yeah 
I've seen kind of seen really grainy footage of it. Um, but she's only in the end with there's a scene with the professor oh. in the classroom and she's right next to him. She talks to him, I think. I, I very one writing notes, you kind of miss a couple of cut jubilee from these films for whatever reason. Uh, we also get our first cameo uh, from Daniel Cudmore as Colossus. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah. We'll talk about him later. And our first official Stanley spotting is still our only official Stanley spotting. He's not in this film. Uh, famously, it's one of only four Marvel-based productions that are you know, either licensed by Marvel or by Marvel themselves where he doesn't appear as a cameo. He, he will be back in the next film. Quite famous. He's really predominant in the next film. Um, for notable characters introduced, or not just introduced, but whether the film is around them a bit. Um, first of the four, we're going to focus on his Nightcrawler. His uh, first appearance was in Giant Size X-Men number one in May 1975. Uh, Kurt Wagner was born with certain unusual physical characteristics but his power of self teleportation did not emerge until puberty as do all mutants powers uh marginal sardos i think is how you pronounce it uh sorceress and gypsy queen it's written down in the references uh allegedly found her and an hour after his birth in a small roadside shelter in the black forest with his father lying dead on the road outside however this claim was later called into question and it was subsequently proven that Kurt's mother is Mystique, also known as Raven Darkholm, and his father is the demonic warlord Azazel. Obviously we're going to know more about yeah. Mystique as we go along. Um, Azazel will pop up again later as well, not in this film, but we'll talk about him later. Uh, Mystique revealed that she threw him into a well after a large mob learned of Kurt's existence and Azazel admitted that he secretly saved his son from the fall, uh, giving him to his lover and crony, Marjul Sazos, to raise him. Um, Marjul uh, took the baby to the small Bavarian circus where she worked as a fortune teller and as a cover for her activities as a sorceress. Um, Wagner was never legally adopted by anybody, but he was raised by all the members of the circus. He had no prejudices against uh, who had no prejudices against mutants. Um, she acted as Kurt's unofficial foster mother, essentially. Kurt grew up happily in the circus, and his two closest friends were uh, her son Stefan and daughter Germaine. Long before his teleportation power emerged, Wagner had tremendous natural agility, and by his adolescence had become the circus's star acrobat and aerial artist. Circus audiences assumed that he was a normal-looking human wearing a devil-like costume. Which, not completely unreasonable. As extremely religious in this film. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, think he, I think he's got elements of religion yeah. and ties to it in, in the comics as well. Uh, second doubtful character is William Stryker. His first appearance is in the standalone story. Well, it started off as standalone but became canonical eventually. Um, X-Men God Loves Man Kills from 1982. In that story, he's Reverend William Stryker and is a religious fanatic. Uh, 
I think he's also framed as a televangelist um, with a military history. He's uh, characterized by his unequivocal hatred of mutants. Stryker's hatred goes as far as to kill his own wife, Mercy, and their mutant son uh, immediately after birth in Nevada. Um, Crazed and outraged, Stryker then makes a suicide attempt. As time passes, he's convinced that Satan has a plot to destroy mankind by corrupting uh, parental souls. Uh, The result of this corruption being mutants. Admittedly, Stryker eventually comes to see his mutant son's birth as a sign from God, distracting, uh, directing him to his true calling, ensuring the eradication of all mutants. Damn. We'll talk, and the reason he was changed is because religion and maybe not a good sell for... I can imagine. America is a I can imagine. So, um, another notable character is uh, Lady Deathstrike. First appearance as Jericho uh, Oyama is in Daredevil 197 in August 1983. She's a, originally a Daredevil side character. Oh. And then she becomes Lady Deathstrike later and becomes um, an X-Men villain. Or Wolverine primarily villain. In Alpha Flight 33 she becomes Lady Deathstrike. Uh, Yuriko was born in Osaka, Japan. Her father is Dark, uh, Lord Dark Wind Kenji Oyama a Japanese crime lord and criminal scientist who created the process by which adamantium can be bonded to bone. So it's all because of him. Uh, Kenji was a former Japanese kamikaze pilot during World War II. His face was horribly scarred in a failed suicide attack on on an American battleship. Feeling ashamed by his failure decades earlier, he scarred the faces of Yuriko and her two brothers in a ritual design. Her two brothers would later die while in their father's service. Yuriko teamed with Daredevil to free her lover, Kiro, from her father's servitude and to take vengeance on her father for her scarring and the death of her two brothers. She guided Daredevil to to Lord Darkwind's private island in search of Bullseye, of all people, (laughs) when Yuriko slew Lord Darkwind and devoted Kiro uh, chose suicide to honour his master. Distraught, Yuriko belatantly embraced her father's ideals and sought to track down whoever dishonoured him to restore Japan's honour. Unlike the movie counterpart, she is actually an augmented cyborg, having her body changed by Spiral, uh, who's an alien but is an X-Men sort of villainese side character as well, using alien technology and, and magic of all things. So she's a very different character. And I think killed off sort of a while back and recently brought back. Last but not least, Wolverine. Finally, we get to talk about him a little bit. I'm not going to talk a lot about Wolverine here um, because... There's plenty of films for Wolverine. Yes, there's going to be a lot to talk about. We're going to hold back still, hold fire. But uh, while Wolverine indeed is finally a key character in the story... Uh, since Fox and the film's producers saw the positive response to his inclusion in the first X-Men, and because he's still undoubtedly, at that point, probably one of the most popular and best-selling individual comic characters, um, the consequence of his remaining strands uh, at the end of the first X-Men. So, obviously, at the end of the first film, Xavier sends him off. Yeah. And that's sort of a quasi-cliffhanger, although it's nothing 
between that film and the start of this film, nothing really happens. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail now, obviously. Um, we'll cover bits of what happens in the film, but he again, we're going to look at his backstory when it's the right time. So yes, the film development. So the film's story was loosely influenced by the previously mentioned God Loves Man's Kills, in which Magneto investigates the murder of two mutant children. This leads to the abduction of Xavier and the X-Men working with Magneto to free the X-Men mental. It is the plan of William Stryker to hook Xavier up to a machine that will use his powers to kill all mutants. But he is eventually stopped. Um, he shoots Kitty Pride, oh. and is arrested by some military um, officers and put on trial. Um, David Hater and Zach Penn were hired to each write separate scripts, and Hater and Penn then combined what they felt were the best elements of both scripts into one screenplay. After that. Singer and Hater worked on another script, finishing in October 2001. So it's like multi-stage sort of script writing, which is not rare. Uh, after that, Michael Doherty and Dan Harris were hired to rewrite Hater and Penn's script in February 2002, turning down the opportunity to write Urban Legends Bloody Mary. I don't know if you've ever seen any of the Urban Legends films. No. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'm missing out somewhere. No. Um... Angel and Beast appeared in early drafts, but were deleted because there were too many characters. I mean, I could probably understand that. Especially the audience you're going for on the first movie. That there's multiple occasions of Beasts almost being more in the film than he is. Um, for reference, before we get on to the film proper... The film was released on April 24th, 2003 in London, England. Um, a couple months later in America. or It was definitely uh, May, anyway, in America. Um, we're going to assume that's when things take place from, say, the day after. Yeah. As always, our one rule when it comes to timelines. Um, I will say now there is no clear dates anywhere in the film. On TV screens, on computer monitors, I've zoomed in on everything. Um, maybe I've missed something, but I don't think I have. So we're assuming it takes place April 24th or 25th, 2003. And the film moves at quite a pace for quite... It's a bit longer than the original X-Men, but it's in a short space of time. Yeah, it's about 2 hours and 15, I think. Like, so it's a couple of days worth of stuff, and that's it. Um, except maybe the beginning and end but we'll cover why. So, as we mentioned, my first watch was Disney Plus, and my only watch, it took me like two weeks to go through this properly, um, just because of going back. and There's a lot of stuff happens here, so well. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that happens. Yes. And so we'll skip over a bit some bobs, but we'll get the over. So, uh, we're ready to go.
opening. Stars. Professor X's voiceover discussing mutants and how most people treat them. Usually with fear. Yeah. 3D graphics of an electro brain. <laughs> we pass through whirring machinery until it all forms out the title card. X2. Did it say X2 for yours? Yes, he said X2. <laughs> yeah. We fly backwards and the and through the doors of Cerebro as they close. And then it locks. We move onto a sign that reads The White House, Washington. There's a tour guide giving uh, a, a guide and, a and tour, mentioning yeah. sort of Lincoln's inaugural address. She says uh, it's Lincoln's first inaugural address. His first inaugural address was delivered on Monday, March 4th, 1861, and as part of his taking the oath of office for his first term as the 16th President of the United States, the speech was, prim speech was primarily addressed to the people of the South and was intended to succinctly state Lincoln's intended policies and desires toward that section where seven states had succeeded from the United, uh, from the Union and formed the Confederate States of America. Uh, written in uh, a spirit of reconciliation toward the succeeded states, Lincoln's inaugural address touched on several topics. First, his pledge to hold, occupy and possess property and places belonging to the government, including Fort Sumner, which was still in federal hands. Second, his argument that the Union was undissolvable and thus that succession was impossible. And third, a, prom a promise that while he would never be the first to attack, any use of arms against the United States would be regarded as rebellion and met with force. The inauguration took place on the eve of the American Civil War, which began soon after the Confederate attack on Fort Sumter. So um, it's mentioned here, uh, and you'll notice there's two things going on here as a, a sort of a nod to the fact that there's going to be the beginnings of a civil war between mutants and humans as well. But also in this scene, every portrait you see shown is of a president who was assassinated. Oh. Which is interesting because of what's about to happen it's in foreshadowing. the scene. Yeah. Um, a group is on tour and they hear the tour guide ask for tickets, clearly, already when they're in the tour. So I get, well, you're already giving the tour. Why are you asking for tickets now? Anyway, we see the president in the Oval Office. A security guard is distracted by sounds of light puffing style. So, you know, you know, you can all imagine it. <laughs> uh, the camera pans to reveal a hunched man uh, wearing a cap stood next to a portrait of Kennedy, almost he's mimicking. Wearing makeup his... as well, wasn't he? Was he wearing makeup as well? To cover, he was wearing makeup only to cover his face. I think it's just the lighting. Is it lighting? I think it's still. I think he's just oh. still blue. Um, but he's in a very similar sort of. Kennedy's yeah. in a sort of hunched pose as well because he's leaning on the desk. Um, we, uh, well, you've distracted me now. We see the mystery <laughs> man walk by a guard, clearly behind a velvet rope, and as such, not trespassing. The security asks if he's lost anyway. So that's clearly a bit for the, the public to walk around, but okay. He reveals that he has a tail, and with no threatening action taken, the guard has no choice but instantly pull his gun. Yeah. Just, oh, God, he's got a tail. I'm going to shoot him straight away. 
immediately as Mozart's Des Irae from Requiem from D minor plays, we see a mystery man, or the mystery man, quickly leap over the guard, snatching his gun with his tail and knocking him over. As he tosses the gun to one side, the guard alerts of a perimeter breach at the visitor's checkpoint. We see one guard reacting as a mystery man darts past, only for another to appear behind and run from one door to another. The security says we've got multiple assailants or something like that. Uh, security rush in to alert the president, asking the unarmed, uh, unarmed woman to run into potential danger. There's a woman in the presidential <laughs> office with him, and he's like, get out of here. Yeah. You go out there, there's somebody shooting people or attacking people. So they really don't care about anybody else except protecting the president, which I suppose is their job. I guess in real life that would actually be the case anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, we see the mystery man is seen miraculously appearing out of thin air, knocking over one man and swinging through a doorway to kick a second in the face. Our secret service surround the president. Our mystery man continues to bounce off walls and people's faces as he avoids repeated attempts to stop him. A secret service attempt to move the president to a shelter. Or well, they say, get the yeah. president's shelter. We can't move him. The Presidential uh, Emergency Operations Center, P-E-O-C, or P-O-C, is a bunker-like structure beneath uh, the east wing of the White House. It serves as a secure shelter and communications center for the president of the United States and others in case of an emergency. Um, Trump was taken to the <laughs> shelter this year in the middle of the protests uh. for Black Lives Matter um, earlier in the year. Because, you know... Because that's what you got you got to hide from the people. Yeah. Um, we see a clear look at our mystery man, or mutant, his yellow eyes, blue skin and fangs uh, as he peeks through a doorway. He snarls slash hisses. It's kind of snake-like, almost. And he bounds out and takes out more men. Further acrobatics and three more tossed aside. One falling through a door into an office filled with armed men. They show great restraint for Americans. Not shooting the random guy falling through the door. Uh, Our mystery mutant appears in the corner of the room in the top corner. As all attempt to shoot, we cut back to the Oval Office. The President and his men listening to the gunfire taking place outside. It's quite a cool scene actually. Mm. This whole opening, it's not overly bombastic. The music's a great choice. It moves at a great pace, back and forth between what's going on in one place, one go, what's going on everywhere else, essentially. Um, it's really, really well paced. Um, before, suddenly a door bursts open and a man is dragged into the smoke by the mystery man's tail, um, appearing suddenly from the ceiling and dropping in front of the president, freaking him out a little bit. He quickly flips around the room, knocking out and tossing aside the remaining 11 men and jumping onto the president, pinning him onto his desk. The president's your desk, or as it's better known, the resolute desk, is a 19th century partner's desk used by several presidents of the United States in the White House Oval Office. I don't know if this is exactly based on that design, um, but they apparently the... Oval Office is pretty accurate in this film and it's reused for other shows and films later because of how good it is. The only unique addition is that they've put X's above doors as a sort of subtle feature oh. to show. Um, 
the uh, desk was a gift from Queen Victoria to President uh, Rutherford B. Hayes. Rutherford. Rutherford? Rutherford. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's one of the ones I don't know very well. Uh, B. Hayes in 1880 and was built from the English oak timbers of the British Arctic exploration ship HMS Resolute. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt requested the addition of a door with a presidential seal to conceal his leg braces because he, he used a wheelchair. We talked about this earlier, but yeah. Um, not literally us, you guys listening to us, but <laughs> we literally outside of this talked about it earlier. Don't want to confuse anyone. We talked about it, people listening now. All right. It's not all about you. <laughs> we have lives outside of this. <laughs> he uses his tail to pull the dagger from his boot and lifts it above his head. Before anything happened, though, he's shot in the what turns out to be his arm eventually with two gunshots as he vanishes in a cloud of smoke leaving the dagger stuck in the desk and a cute little red ribbon uh, with uh, Mutant Freedom Now written in I assume Sharpie or something on it so what do you think of this this opening scene you said you didn't remember it but it's it's one of the big famous openings to any sort of comic film it's quite a good opening for a cat as well like this, this is a character's debut. Like even though he's trying to kill the president, but it does a lot to spell out exactly what he's capable, he's capable of. of. Yeah, um, without any words from the character no. himself. Although in this case, we find out he's under the influence of someone else. We don't find out until a while though. So at this point, you're thinking, I can't remember being bad, you know. Mm. Um. It's interesting because he's a lot more instinctive with his yeah. uses of it, of his abilities. Yeah. And later on, he he's more timid about being confident with his, what he can Which do. Which is going to show that the brainwashing. Mm. Or like maybe that there's, like if you stop trying to think about it, you can do a lot more, oh. you know, as well. Um, the limitations are gone. Um, but it is interesting uh, sort of introduction and... Like the the pacing, the cutting, the music, which I mentioned earlier, that's like pretty perfect music for that scene. Yeah. Um, I can't. I I should have done research into it, but I think the music literally is chosen because it's saying something specific yeah. as well. Um, so I I I think I'll do some supplemental stuff and add it to the episode for anybody who's interested. Um, I didn't have as much time as I would have liked to dig into a lot more stuff. But yes, it's it's like you don't see any of the old characters and it's just out of the blue. Yeah. So it's really interesting. Fade out to white. Snow, trees, mountain, <laughs> a lake... It's Logan. He's smoking a cigar and trudging through the snow, as he would. He stops and stares at a wolf. Um, I say wolf question mark because I wasn't sure if it's a wolf or not. Because obviously his name's Wolverine, and you'd think they'd want to show a Wolverine, as is in Canada. Yeah. Uh, it's not a Wolverine. But, for those interested, the Wolverine is a powerful animal that resembles a small bear. It's actually the largest member of the weasel family. Oh, 
Uh, its habitat is uh, sort of, while they're tough and solitary, they need a lot of room to roam. So individual wolverines will travel about 15 miles in a day in search for food. Um, because of these habitat requirements, wolverines frequent remote uh, boreal forests, taiga and tundra in the northern latitudes of Europe, Asia and North America. Uh, their diet is a bit of vegetarian fare, like plants and berries. Uh, in the summer season, but this does not make up the major part of their diet. They are tenacious predators with a taste for meat. Wolverines easily dispatch smaller prey, such as rabbits and rodents, may even attack animals many times their size, such as caribou, uh, if a prey appears to be weak or injured. Um, the opportunistic, opportunistic eaters also feed on carrion, the corpses of larger animals, such as elk, deer or caribou, uh, and such finds sustain them in winter when other prey may be thinner on the ground, though they have also known been known to dig into burrows and eat hibernating animals. Ooh. <laughs> so they, they're very hungry little guys. Um, but they've always got this opinion, this myth of being very rapid and aggressive. Like, I suspect people were actually picturing honey badgers. <laughs> they should have called, called uh, Logan honey, honey Badger. <laughs> I would have watched that film. <laughs> Honey badger. Anyway, it was a. Uh, it, it walks into a dilapidated structure through a door. Uh, the sign reads: Alkali Lake Industrial Complex, Department of Energy, National Res. <laughs> the rest is too faded for me to read on the uh, streaming version of it. I don't know if Blu-rays or something. It's probably got clearer version. Um, but I really zoomed in on that and could not make out what it was all saying. This snow and it's a bit damaged as well. Um, Logan walks through and sees nothing remaining. It's all damaged and destroyed. There's a fantastic fade from his face to to disappointed wolf face in a museum. It's like his disappointed face oh, yeah. to disappointed wolf in a museum face. Here, Storm is giving a tour to some students. We're not. I don't know if you picked up where this is, but I didn't notice where this is no. supposed to be set. It's like a national museum or something. Yeah, like a museum of, of yeah. history. Yeah, or, or had dinosaurs there. Yeah, natural history yeah. probably. She talks about the wiping out of Neanderthals and the advanced humanity uh, called Cro-Magnon Man, but they actually, the theory that they actually bred into the the species that we know today as us. By, you know, just people mingling and mixing. So Neanderthals, or Neanderthals, Homo, Homo Neanderthalsis, or Homo sapiens Neanderthalsis, are an extinct species or subspecies of archaic humans who lived in uh, Eurasia until about 40,000 years ago. The Cro-Magnon... Uh, is the name scientists once used to refer to what are now called early modern humans or anatomically modern humans people who lived in our world at the end of the last ice age uh, 40,000 to 10,000 years ago. They lived alongside Neanderthals for about 10,000 of their years. Yeah. So they're a good chunk of you know mingling with each other. I also looked into, because it's mentioned, uh, DNA and the discovery of DNA. DNA was first discovered in the mid-19th century 
but its function was a mystery for a while still. In early 1950s, two scientists, uh, Rosalind Franklin and Maurice Wilkins, studied DNA using X-rays. Franklin produced an X-ray photograph that allowed two other researchers, James Watson and Francis Crick, to work out the 3D structure of DNA. The structure of DNA was found to be a double helix, as we all know now. Crink and Watson's model served to explain how DNA replicates and how it carries genetic information in humans. This is this set the stage for rapid advances in molecular biology that continue to this day. Molecules carry the genetic instructions used for growth, development, functioning and reproduction of all known living organisms. The Human Genome Project, the uh, mapping of the genome, uh, the genetic information in an organism is called its genome. And the Human Genome Project started at the end of the 20th century. It involved scientists from 18 countries and showed the importance of collaboration in advancing medical knowledge. It was very ambitious and had several aims, uh, including working out the sequence of all 3 billion base pairs in the human genome, identifying all the genes, and developing faster methods for sequencing DNA. The sequencing project was finished in 2003 and work continues to identify all the genes in the human genome. Still ongoing. Mm -hmm. When there's a lot to look into. <laughs> during the presentation, during the presentation, uh, one of the students, a boy, watches a girl licking an ice cream. Are all mutants creepy people watchers? I think so, yeah. Like well, is it from Generation X, I yeah. Think. Trust me, it gets worse, doesn't it? Um, I mean, it's even from the first X Men, Wolverine's not exactly guilt free when it comes to this treatment of women or one woman specifically. She sticks her tongue out, he sticks his out back. It's obviously blue and forked. Storm tells him off, his name's Artie. So, Artie, stop that, him. yeah, or not yeah. now, <laughs> yeah, good impersonation. Uh, it's like she's in the room. Jean showing off her hip new hairstyle. Scott and watching some more kids. One is touching the exhibit. The exhibit is of a... Dinosaur. Oh. Wolverine. Wolf. Sabretooth tiger. That's the one, yeah. As a reference to Sabretooth. Um, it's worth mentioning now. Sabretooth and Toad were going to be in the film. And were cut relatively... Early on, I think Sabretooth made it in a bit longer. I don't think Magneto felt a bit. It's almost, I think, that Sabretooth was going to be that fight oh. that happens with Wolverine later. But then they'd be retreading old, old ground. ground. So, Gene starts hearing voices. So, uh, I, I didn't notice at first. One of them is saying they're going to kill him. But then. If you go back and watch the scene with her listening to the, or hearing the voices, they're sound bites from different scenes in the other in the film, in the past and in the future. No. So they're going to kill him. Is Rogue saying they're going to kill him yeah. later on? And um, there's a scream of somebody saying no, and that's Wolverine shouting no later in the mansion. So oh. Jean's powers aren't just she's reading people's minds. Like there's this one bit where the camera stops at somebody's face and it's this just this guy saying hi 
And it's the kid from later on in the mansion oh. saying hi to the mysterious men who turn up. So it's interesting that you don't pick up on it, but she's becoming More. able to see through time. You never really mentioned that either, does it? No, because <laughs> she, she doesn't know that's what's oh. happening. She, she might just think it's voices of yeah. people around her, or maybe it's just her brain telling her things. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, her distress starts affecting the monitors until Scott pulls her out of it. He asks if she's okay, and she insists it's just a headache. He mentions the events of Liberty Island, implying what Magneto did had an adverse effect on her, like the bubble that was going to mutate everybody has triggered something in her head. Her powers are becoming heightened, and dreams are becoming worse. He he mentions the bedroom shakes when she has a dream. Um, Storm walks over and asks where Bobby and Rogue are. Bobby and Rogue aren't alone. There's three kids missing. She's only concerned with two of them, which is key. Yeah, we'll find out later on why. What happens there? Mm-hmm. Jean um, says something is happening in the food court. We jump to the food court and two teenage boys are asking why someone's being a dick. Literally the first line. A voice answers, because I can. I think that's ADR'd on or dubbed in later. I think the original scene wouldn't have been there as a response. It would have just been the, the character that we see playing with his lighter, and oh. then he would have said what he says next. Um, but I think they wanted him to come across more as as a dick, so they've dubbed in that oh, line. I and I, I, if it was me, I would leave that line out, because I think it's more effective. I want to go into why I think Magneto and his crew are actually the heroes of this series at this point. In this film, they're Everything they do is relatively reasonable. You know? It's always Magneto's way, does it, sort of thing. Like, sort of... like, there was murder going on, but it's it's like... I don't know. Apart from when he end, I think, but we get to that anyway, that's when he becomes... Like... Yeah, the way he gets, <laughs> when it gets to that tipping point where he's like, no, just come on. <laughs> that's the far way. Oh, he's no longer... Yeah. He's... But up until that point, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean... Wolverine clearly murders a few people. Oh, you don't? And not just in self-defense. Like, his people, he should just be like, better man, I'm going to save your life. No, just leave him to die, whatever. Anyway, we'll get to all that. Pan around and we see Rogue and Bobby chuckling as we reveal a new character, or a previously seen character, but played by a new actor, John, playing with his lighter, refusing to loan it to the two boys, who desperately want a cigarette for whatever reason. As Bobby and John bicker about John's behaviour, one teen takes a long and blatant look down Rogue's top, which she subtly is disgusted at. Teen number one snatches the light from John before causing a spark in his cigarette at night and his jacket to set on fire. Bobby quickly uses his ice powers to put that out before everybody suddenly freezes. And then one of them's like, Bobby, what did you do? You want me? Yeah. Um, we get shots of all the frozen actors. Like we hired that. a bunch of mimes, god damn it, and they did hire a bunch of mimes to do that work. So <laughs> where you find that many mimes, I don't know. Um, Remember that was a thing at one. That was a massive thing at one point where people were doing on social media as well. Yeah, the whole freezing thing. God. And he's come from this movie, probably. Yeah, <laughs> so he's seen man. this movie. Oh wow! <laughs> we should try and recreate that. Um, but it's quite an effective thing, though. Because mm. it doesn't cost anything either. No effect no, to anything. No, yeah. No, it just requires no. you to be super still. Much like, like with Generation X. Yeah. Like, 
there's very simple subtle yeah. ideas like let's put them in another costume and make them think they're yeah. seeing things very basic sort of stuff still a lot of people to get to stand still for a long time and you don't see anybody even blink or breathe I love the old guy when they all unfreeze who's just like oh, I don't know what's going on sort of confused look on his face um, Professor Rex rolls in and says that he's the one doing it somehow because he's never had the power to freeze time in people but I assume he's just made everybody's brains yeah. think they have to stand still they should still be blinking in that case because it's just their heads But they're whatever. not breathing at all either. no it's weird um, and he chastises the group of kids for being dicks because they are being dicks Although the teens are being dicks to them as well. So everybody's a dick in this. Uh, I just want to say dick a lot, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a TV port suddenly comes up on one of the random screens in the museum. With the news. Like, do they show news in the middle of the museum? I was thinking that. I was like, that's very much just... Yeah. Um, and it mentions the attack on the White House. So the group decide they should leave. Um, I looked at the TV, like I mentioned. There's no clear logo. It's just kind of a generic logo on there. The only thing that references anything, there's the the letters LCB, so that must be some sort of news station or channel. And the time is 5.22, I assume afternoon and not morning, because it's a museum. They don't they tend to open that early. They don't seem to open that late either. Summertime, maybe. Maybe, yeah. yeah maybe they close at around oh. 7 not out of the question, okay. but the the other, there's another number immediately after five twenty two, which is fourteen. Now, I know American dates have month, then day, then year, but that fourteen might not be the date being covered up by a logo. I couldn't tell, so maybe it's this is taking place on the fourteenth, or maybe it's just a mm. random number yeah. for some reason. So I still don't have a date. I tried. Um, we cut to the school the school from Generation X and uh, Xavier's school for gifted youngsters the address is 1407 Gray Mulcan Lane Salem Centre Winchester City New York if you search that address it's on Google Maps yeah is it a mansion I, I don't know if it's on Street View or Google Maps <laughs> well <laughs> which is fascinating um, that's got to be somebody's added that there yeah maybe Google put it there for fun I don't know maybe there's nothing else there and that's why they can get away with it the teachers chat about what they think is going on immediately Scott says it's Magneto <laughs> like the dumbest thing he does in the entire film which is like what would be the benefit of doing that it's not Magneto the MO either no uh, obviously, he's the only mutant the writers can become a, a bother to come up with as a villain for this series because he's pretty much the only villain or ne- like not pretty villain much. but bad guy mutant yeah. in the entire series until Apocalypse. Because yeah, he is. <laughs> that's it. Like, so many characters you can pick from, but and he's like obviously a tragic villain. Yeah. He's back and forth, but like the rest are just kind of bad humans or people who, and mutants. But there's no sort of central proper bad guy bad guy and there's a lot of central bad guys there's some that are hinted at we'll get to we'll get to the easter eggs in this film later anyway um, that's enough of me complaining about Magneto Magneto is a fantastic character and he's great in this film so I'm not going to complain now but in the long run you know we 
there's a lot of Magneto in this series. The Professor has been trying to track the assassin, but he's had trouble. So we asked Storm and Jean to get ready uh, so that when he can pinpoint the assassin, he can tell them where to go straight away. We cut back to the Oval Office. A man uses his glasses to inspect the damage done to the desk. He says, um, they did get close, didn't they? Something like that. Yeah. Um, but nobody, no, nobody realises quite how close they got. Um, and he, a president asks why he's there. And he asks, move, asks to move forward with an operation. And the president says, I thought you were going to talk about school reform. Yeah. And he says, or in a manner... <laughs> press that Mr. President because obviously we yeah. the joke is it's at school that this is all around anyway but Senator Kelly walks in alive and well apparently doing quite well for having melted last I was film. thinking this because anyway. they showed him on a beach last week it was on the news they're like it's yeah like, it's like okay like uh, William Stryker b- begins his proposal after a bit of a back and forth in the office outside a smartly dressed woman Repeatedly cracks her knuckles. Oh, yeah. And her fingers. She's in her fingers first, isn't she? That's the yeah. one. Um, which is like, that's apparently a character trait. Obviously, it's it's precursing the, the thing that's we're going to be revealed about her later. But it's not very much character depth, sadly. Um, and back in the office, Stryker has pictures of Xavier's school. He says it's a mutant training facility, which I suppose is a school, a training facility. Stryker got into the info interrogating a prisoner, or Magneto, and he he's one of the people responsible for developing the plastic prison we see him in. Um, Kelly attempts to protect the school by saying it's, you know, a school. Uh, but the president gives permission after seeing a jet underneath the basketball court. Outside, Stryker introduces Kelly to Yuriko, and the, the knuckle-cracking lady. And he asks if it's possible to see Magneto, but is denied by Stryker. He says to him, um, you do really want to start a war? And he turns around and walks up to him and he says, I was flying F-16s in Nam while you were sucking your mama's teeth at Woodstock. I did feel I was like... This is on. important. Because I've done some research oh. into this. Bruce Davidson, Senator Kelly, is uh, born 28th of June, 1946, and is 74 now, but not then. Yeah. Brian Cox was born on the 1st of June, 1946, and is 74. <laughs> right, so they're two weeks apart in age. <laughs> so it must have been two years <laughs> flying, is so, it? No, no, no. I've done obviously I've done the numbers. So Woodstock took place on the fifteenth of August nineteen sixty nine and went through to the eighteenth of August nineteen sixty-nine. And Vietnam took place from the first of November nineteen fifty-five until the thirtieth of April nineteen seventy-five. So that's twenty years. But obviously Woodstock is the key dates really. So at Woodstock, Kelly would have been breastfeeding at the age of thirteen. <laughs> and at the same time, Brian Cox was flying F-16s at the age of 13. That's right. Is this that damn good? <laughs> is that advanced? I mean, <laughs> both both raise questions about each man's growing up and what was happening. Like the 13-year-old pilot is more impressive. 
than a thirteen-year-old breastfeeding boy. But still, um, anyway, <laughs> the general dynamics. F-16 Fighting Falcon is a single-engine, supersonic, multi-road fighter aircraft originally developed by General Dynamics for the United States Air Force. In case you're wondering. Of course. The United States of America. Yeah, all of the planes are. <laughs> Back at the school, uh, Bobby and Rogue flirt. I've written his name as Baby, so maybe I should call him Baby. Baby. <laughs> I love you, Baby. Don't Don't kiss me, though. She can't kiss me because you kill me. Uh, as Colossus draws fun cartoons of them kissing. Oh, yeah. That's fun. It's <laughs> quite good. <laughs> um, Logan arrives and is welcomed by Rogue and Bobby. Or Iceman. Storm comes down the stairs, slowly followed by Jean, and they ask Logan to watch the kids. Like He gets asked again later properly by Xavier. Logan and Cyclops have some words, and Logan's like, your bike needs... Filling oh, yeah. up and and then Cyclops chocks the keys back at him and says, "You know, fill her up." Then you know, it's not mean spirited, but you know, a bit sort of cock, sort of parading. You know, uh, at Magneto's cell, Striker has a nice chat with Eric, dripping acidic liquid on the back of his neck to promote complicity, and asking about Cerebro. We meanwhile in Cerebro which is great pacing and the sort of back-and-forth scene cutting. Charles welcomes Logan back, threatening to turn him into a small girl if he doesn't put out a cigar, which he decides to put out on his hand. Side note, you see him put out the cigar on his hand, and his hand heals miraculously as he does. But you can also see where on his fingers, at the base of his middle and, and ring finger, sort of thicker skin from where ivory wears rings or he's done manual labor or anything so that calluses, sort of stuff. Yeah. calluses it's like well, shouldn't they be healed as well <laughs> i guess yeah yeah technically so or that that hit that wound from him putting out a cigar should turn into a little scar i thought like that was a kind of just I didn't, I didn't need to do it but i guess it's to mind people that heals i guess because like, yeah yeah it is felt unnecessary because why would you smoke a cigar in cerebro like yeah well you know He's like, well, he's he's fine with him doing it in the school to a, to an extent. Anyway, it's a cute little scene. Anyway, Charles then activates Cerebro with Wolverine watching, and it gives a fantastic and handy little explanation of how Cerebro works, and shows all these visuals of lights and how all the individual lights are people, and then the different coloured lights are mutants. And then Logan asks why why he can't just concentrate to find the the moving mutant better, and he says if I wanted to kill him, yes, which is handy because obviously yeah. that's it's foreshadowing again. Yeah, really well written. You know, for this sort of film, anyway, it's not like Oscar winning, but it's still really really unexpectedly well set up for later. Logan asks Charles to look into his mind again, which he refuses for now. Um, he says that it would just be the same results as before. Um, whether or not he's telling the truth, is not sure about. But he does ask him to stay and watch the kids because him and uh, Scott are going to go off to see an old friend. Gene yeah. uh, and Storm head off to find the assassin because Charles knows where he is now. 
At the Capitol, Senator Kelly transforms into Stryker's aide and sneaks into his office. Oh, wait, no, sorry, Mystique. It's Mystique. <laughs> I was going to say. She mimics his voice and logs into a computer somehow. If you notice, there's no microphone. No. <laughs> at all. But she just says his name. Um, anyway, this scene is a goldmine of info and cameos. <sighs> so, like the research, the desktop is a mess. May I point out? Like tidy up your desktop. It's got striker. Loads of files everywhere. Folders all over the place. Files everywhere. So, um, there is a folder that's clicked open called CB CLB zero four zero four eight zero that doesn't seem to link up to anything. I was trying to say a word that I can't say. <laughs> it doesn't seem to link up to anything from re- from research I've done. But um, I assume it's possibly a reference to something. It could just be a random set of numbers. From the first folder that opens, there's a list. And it's a list of names. So I'm just going to very quickly go over them. There's John Allardyce, which is Pyro. Um, Amira Aquila, Magma. Alison Blair, Dazzler. Sally Blevins is Skids. Elizabeth Braddock is Psylocke, who we'll see again in the future. Uh, Maria Castellantos is Feral. Cassidy 2 is Banshee, who we saw in Generation X, no. who's the teacher. And Siren, who's his daughter, who has pretty much the same power yeah. set. Uh, there's a character called Lila Cheney. She's just called Lila Cheney. Uh, Victor Creed, which is Sabretooth from the last film, and we will see him again, but sort of different. Uh, uh, Roberto De Costa, with Sunspot. Lorne Dane is Polaris. Bobby Drake is obviously Iceman. Fred Dukes is Blob, or The Blob. We will see him again in the future, or we'll see him in the future. Angelo Espinosa is Skin from Generation X. You know, the Creeper yeah. from Generation X. Um, Kyle Gibney is Wild Child. Gunthree 2 is a reference to Samuel Gunthree, Cannonball, and Paige Gunthree, Husk, who would have been in Generation X if she wasn't replaced with that bodybuilding girl. Kenuchio Harada is the Silver Samurai, who, again, we will see later. Garrison Kane is better known as Weapon X. Remy the Bu is Gambit, who we will see in the future. And he was supposed to be in this film. Um, we'll get to where he would have been later. Uh, Eric M. Lecher is Magneto, obviously. Artie Maddox is the kid with the blue tongue at the beginning and the end of the film. He's also a kid that can project illusions in the comics later, but I think he kind of becomes a character after the films. Oh. I'm not 100% on that. Jamie Madrox is the multiple man, who we will talk about again in the future. Um, Zian Koi Khan is Karma. One of the most fascinating ones is Maximoff 2, which is Petro Maximoff, Quicksilver, and Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch. They are also Magneto's kids, famously. But that's fascinating because... Quicksilver appears later in the series, in this canon, but he's he's not Maximoff. But the the Maximoffs are in the Marvel awesome. Cinematic Universe, so we're starting to tie multiple yeah. universes and timelines together now. They exist in this universe. 
which is interesting. Uh, Kevin McTaggart is Proteus and is the son of Moira McTaggart, who we will talk about again in future. Danielle Moonstar is Mirage, and Aurora Monroe is obviously Storm. She appears later, and in all the films, <laughs> pretty much. Next up, a file opens. It's very quick. It's a flash of lots of guards' faces and loads of details of names. Um, skipping through and pausing, I'm going back and forth over and over again. Uh, there is M. Doherty, which is one of the writers, D. Harris, uh, name R.B.M. Classified, L. Donner, R. D. Young, and B. Singer. Lastly is my, uh, uh, Mitchell Lario, who is the central guard character that we keep seeing in the film. Or we will start seeing him anyway. On a second screen, Mystique notices a folder marked Cerebro, leading to the revelation that Stryker is building his own. On this screen, there are several folders all over the place. Um, I went back a couple of frames to look at the whole screen, but there were key ones around the, f the, the folder where it zooms in that are worth talking about, but we'll get to them in a second. So on the zoomed out version of the screen, there's also Catherine Pride, or Shadowcat, now known as the Red Queen. Um, the rest are very blurry, even on this HD. I know there are other websites and YouTube channels and whatnot. I've got the full list of everything. But the ones I could see and confirm um, from the close-ups is Omega Red, who is a villain from the comics. He sort of appears in one of the films, but he's not named. And he is the Russian version of Captain America, essentially. Um, he's like a key Wolverine sort of villain. Uh, Franklin... Richards, which is the son of Sue and um, Reed Richards. No. And he was born a mutant, but his mutant powers are like reality-affecting mm. powers. And he's like really key to some big stories as well. Um, so the Fantastic Four are part of this universe, and they've already had one kid. Um, the Richards have two or three children in the end. Uh, Mirror Island, which is a research facility run by Dr. Moira McTaggart, previously mentioned. Mm. And Project Wide Awake, which is the project that kind of spawns the Sentinels and is also where a lot of the key human mm. villains that have been featured in these films and will be are kind of connected. Yeah. So Senator Kelly's part of Project Wide Awake and um, Stryker isn't, but Trask in future will be Bolova Trask is part of that. Um, Mystique clicks opening the Cerebro and a load more files open up. These ones get really interesting. <laughs> this is this is ending soon, don't worry. It's a big hunt. Ruth Batsefriff is Sabra. Cecilia Reyes is Dr. Cecilia Reyes. Everett Thomas is Cinch. Nicole Atcrew is Claudette and Nicole St. Crew. Uh, you remember M from Generation X. Yeah. She's the one who barely featured at all. They, that character is complicated. But the these two characters are there, her, her sisters, but they're, and they're twins. But they're also her, because when they're together, they can merge into a version of her. 
I don't know quite the history behind it all. Wade Wilson, or Deadpool, oh. in his first note mention. Andrea von Strucker, who is the, the daughter of um, Baron von Strucker, who features in Avengers uh, Age of Ultron. You know, the guy with the monocle. Oh, yeah. Um, and other bits of Marvel Cinematic Universe media. So the Von Struckers are in this universe too. So we've got the Maximoffs and the Von Struckers, uh-huh. and they're tied in that film as well, because Von Strucker made the Maximoffs have their powers. So that's very interesting. Uh, David North, Zero. Tabitha Smith, known as Boom Boom. Calvin Rankin, Mimic. Another interesting one is Dr. Nathaniel Essex, or Mr. Sinister, who's one of the biggest villains in the X-Men universe. He's not even a mutant, so why he's on there, I don't know, but it's a nice reference. Ileana Rasputin, or Magic, who is Colossus's little sister. Uh, Guido uh, Costalena uh, is a strong guy. Dr. Carl Lycos is Sauron, who's a pterodactyl man. <laughs> Trask is Believer Trask, as we mentioned earlier. Grey Mulkin is Jonas Bray Mulkin. Beta Flight is a Canadian mutant team, not unlike the X-Men. Jamie Braddock is the elder brother of twin superheroes Brian and Betsy Braddock. Um, he has the ability to manipulate reality. Forge is affiliated with the X-Force team and is a, like a tech, tech genius and is Storm's X. Oh. Um, Department H is a branch of the Canadian government that sanctioned, supported and monitored all superhuman activity in Canada. Weapon X is mentioned. This time it's the program that's behind Wolverine's Adamantium um, and him being Weapon X. Uh, Gamma Flight, again, Canadian mutant team. Range Sinclair, which is Wolf Spain. Legacy, which is the virus that targets mutants and kills them exclusively. Um, Salem Center, which is the a reference, I think, to Jean Grey's school for higher learning, which becomes the second Xavier school, essentially. Um, Alpha Flight, which is the Canadian mutant team that Wolverine was originally part of before he became one of the X-Men. And lastly, the Morlocks, which is a group of doomed sewer-dwelling mutants. There's a massacre that takes place in the comic books and they're all killed off. Oh. I don't know if that's nodded to in one of the films I haven't seen. Um, so, yeah, that's a <laughs> extensive it's list. Like it's got a lot of... Um... Easter eggs there, yeah. Uh, there's, n- <laughs> But after all of that, the computer doesn't have a date or timestamp. <laughs> In the corner, no clock at all. Of on course, the screen. no computer has that. No. Stryker's personal assistant arrives and gets uh, a line. She actually gets to say something. She walks in, sits down, and Mystique changes and hides. Is that only a line in the film? Oh. It's their only line in the film. What are you doing in here? <laughs> Startled by the janitor slash cleaner. But wait, it's Mystique, cunning swine. And uh, they just say, garbage. And holds a bin. Cut to the church in Boston as they leave. They walk past them, the actual janitor. It's quite funny. Little... I was like, he's like all <laughs> shocked. He's like, oh. um, 
cut to a church in Boston and there's a bit of graffiti that's scrawled on the fence or, or wooden sort of wall outside because uh, it's a condemned church. Uh, it says, Nature laughs last. I meant to look into condemned churches in Boston so I could see if there was one condemned around the time this was filmed. So then I could try and put, give it a date. I didn't get to. I'm, uh, I must apologise. Storm and Jean enter, and a voice from the rafters shouts at them in German. This is why he was hired to play the role, because he's fluent in German. German. Um, this translate to get out. I am a minion of the devil. I am the spawn of evil. Oh. So he's trying to scare them away. Well, I always get out. I thought... Yeah, that's pretty clear, that one. Yes, the outs. You know. Um, Gene and Storm have had enough of waiting, though. So Storm goes all white-eyed and electrocutes the rafters, so Kurt tumbles from the ceiling. And they listen to Kurt as eventually they get him to calm down. And he talks about what he remembers, and they look at his markings on his chest. He's covered in loads of purposefully put sort of scars and then they notice a big hole in the back of his neck I don't want to turn around it though it made no sense because I thought he's going to shove some scars in the back no there's nothing there. they didn't put anything on his back it's probably pretty difficult to do them on your oh, own yeah. back then. Um, and he has a scar on his neck and it's just like the one Magneto has from Straker see visual storytelling so what do you think so far we're, we're about a third of the way through now so far it's actually just developing loads of characters like three different characters, three different story strands yeah. going on at the same time. Wolverine's at the school, Storm and Jean are at the church. Yeah. Uh, Xavier's on his way to see Magneto. Yeah. Striker's somewhere doing something as well. So you've got four different story yeah. sort of strands going on, and yet you're not losing track yeah. of who's where. Yeah. Um, any sort of highlights? Anything that, that's really standing out to you? No. No, no, okay. Oh, that was a good, good discussion. Thanks. <laughs> uh, back at the school. Logan continues his tradition of getting flashbacks in his sleep. I think oh, yeah. I think being in bed in that place makes him have his memories come back. He gets up and wanders the building. He finds a kid channel surfing, using literally his eyes to change the channel meaninglessly. Apparently he doesn't sleep. I love the interaction. Couldn't sleep? How did you guess? You're awake. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. um, and then he walks in on Bobby eating a family-sized tub of ice cream. He doesn't want chocolate milk, apparently. Who doesn't want chocolate milk? He just want, well, he wants a man's drink. He wants a beer. He wants a he wants a he wants a hairy man's drink. Then he gets drink. a Dr Pepper. Uh, there's nothing wrong with Dr Pepper. Mad, anyway. Uh, meanwhile, in the middle of the night, which is the one odd thing about this scene, that like, it's clearly middle of the night. Everybody should be asleep. But Charles and Scott have gone to visit Eric at the prison. Do they allow night visits at prisons? I know. <laughs> you know? Depends where Eric's been kept, though. They haven't gone that far away. They haven't even taken uh -huh. the jet. <laughs> They've only got one. 
Anyway. But they, they have a little chat and oh no, it's a trap. Because Charles realises that Eric's told them something. And then gas starts getting pumped into the, the room while Scott starts get, having a little fight with the guards. But um, is easily defeated by Stryker's PA. Like one kick to the head oh, and yeah, he's done. I was like, come on, Scott. That's why you're so weak. But he had extra scenes as well that were cut from the film. And David Hayter was really disappointed. Really? He'd written extra stuff for him, so he'd have more to do. Oh. And it was just cut out. Um, in, in the extended version, there is a bit where um, Xavier is being manipulated later. And there's a scene where Scott breaks him out of his constraints and they get back to the school. Yeah. And then that's when the stuff that happens set at the school later starts from. Oh, I see. Well. So in this, they're just suddenly there. We'll explain when we get there, if you haven't seen the film. Um, Scott is easily defeated, and not before he, you know, everybody realises Stryker knows everything. They mentioned Jason Stryker, or Stryker's son, being a mutant. And for some reason, Magneto says something about that's why you've taken in the Wolverine because you can think that make up for your mistake with Stryker's son. And I'm like, what? I was thinking, like, like, it's a weird line because why would Magneto care about Wolverine being there? Why is Wolverine special? Neither of them knew who he really was last movie. So this makes it sound like they know there's something about him that's important. And Wolverine's not really a hard case here they, like he's just not got his memory seems pretty reasonable around I don't know it's like his son looks really old when we get there he looks really old well, when we get to him yeah uh -huh. um anyway as Wolverine and Bobby bond over school and rogue uh there's a school attack two men meet Blinky and then shoot him in the neck for saying hi uh Wolverine senses something a little late, but he senses something, and he heads out of the kitchen. More more armed men work through the uh, building, shooting kids in their sleep. One wakes and phases through a bed, Kitty Pride, uh, down to the floor. Perot. This is the second actress who plays Kitty Pride so far. There was a different one in the first film. She avoids more men, phasing through three walls and one man to escape. Choppers arrive. Logan takes out one man in the kitchen, screams in his face as he does, as a girl gives a banshee-like scream alerting the school. That's uh, Banshee's kid that we mentioned earlier on the computer. Um, or meant to be. Colossus and Pyro wake as Logan and Bobby leave the kitchen. Logan stabs one man in the back, muffling his scream with his hand, and another in the chest. The kids upstairs run around the halls. As two men attempt to abduct one kid, Colossus walks in, silvering up and tossing them both through a wall off camera. He turns immediately back to normal Colossus, though, for no reason at all. I think I thought to stay... To stay silver for the entire time. Um, it costs money to do the CGI, I yes. know. but anyway, Logan runs full pelt down the hall, slicing on a gun, and then into one man's neck. Definitely and, him. and then another man's face. At full force. So yeah, them two guys are done. Uh, more men arrive. Colossus leads some kids away through a hidden hatch. Um, Bobby stops Pyro to find Rogue, 
why is Rogue the only person completely by herself lost in the mansion? I'm like, come on, like, what's she doing? Yeah. She, like, this isn't the only time, but Rogue, oh, just just Rogue. Um, Colossus opens a hidden doorway and leads the first of the kids out, and Logan passes off the blinky kid to him. He, Logan, then stabs another man through the foot and kills him off screen. Yet more men arrive. Rogue and Bobby meet as the other kids run through the sewers. Rogue, the only person unable to find the escape path, by the way, leads the boys downstairs and then the main doors burst open with multiple armed men walking in. Where, where are you going to go? You, why has she decided to go to the main doorway when they're all under attack? Clearly it's the worst place to go. Before Logan suddenly leaps on top of them from above, he flips two of the men overhead using just his claws, which physics-wise doesn't make any sense. I won't get any blood in me either. No, He's well, spotless. You know, they, they, <laughs> that's Fox and the sensors for you. Uh, we see him on one knee from behind, and the kids, kids sort of looking at him, because that's how he's added, I suppose, like one foot and one knee. But then the camera from the other angle shows him standing on both feet. And Got immediate, up. <laughs> yeah, like there's no time for him to have stood up, but he's already... It's a not a terrible cut, but it's obvious. Um, he also decides, for some reason, to stupidly walk straight out the front door as well, where all the guards and the people who are breaking in are coming from. So Bobby decides, Bobby's the clever one of the group, to lead everybody to the hidden exit <laughs> so they can actually get away. But Logan decides to stay up behind. Suddenly, Stryker arrives, stops his men from shooting Logan, and attempts to take Logan down memory lane. But, out of the blue, a wall of ice appears in front of them, separating them both. Which is a great visual, because it's like this really impressive looking wall of ice, and then the light's shining from one side, so you see the shadow of Stryker. And it's like metaphor, because it's his, the shadow of his past coming through. Uh, really nicely done. Famously, this is a real wall of ice weighing several hundred yeah, tons. It's really there, um, which is also really impressive. Um, and Rogue convinces Wolverine to get them all away. I feel a little hand touching with Strike. I'm like, yeah, it's very romantic. I thought that's a bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's more the case of the, the lost, yeah. lost past, it's just right there. Um, and she's like, we we won't be all right without you, sort of thing. So they all escape in Scott's car. Apparently, using his claw is good enough replacement for not having the key. Um, car drive, bye bye bye. Everyone hates it, so they turn the music off. She gives him back his his dog tags as well. Uh, and he finds that phone. Yes, the phone, the phone, phone hidden behind the CD player. Yeah. So I'm not sure how that works. Cut back to the mansion, and we're walking into Cerebro after, after Strikers unlocked it, and they're about to steal all the bits we need to. The the other guys decide to head to Bobby's parents' house because Storm and Jean are there. Well, not at his house, but no. in Boston. Meanwhile, in a bar, anti-mutant demonstration takes place on a TV as a guard from a plastic prison... The, the one major bad guy guard just drinking alone he's, he's like turn that crap off 
Mystique, undercover Mystique, seduces and drugs him before injecting him in the bum with a massive amount of iron. I did not get the chance to research the effects of injecting that much iron findings into somebody's bloodstream. I feel like it won't be a good, be a but, good thing. No, no I, I have a feeling he's immediately going to the hospital or the morgue. But apparently it's fine. So who am I to question? Um, I'm going to try and look into that at some point, I think. On the TV, there is Hank McCoy, who's Beast. That's it, oh. Yeah, that's him, like, in disguise, essentially. Um, having a conversation with somebody called Shaw, who is Sebastian Shaw, of the Hellfire Club. Although he's obviously, as a doctor, yeah. he's also sort of in disguise. Um, we will talk about Beast again soon, but he was also supposed to be in the film more. Yeah in both the he was removed from the script sort of sense and also filmed scenes as this actor as his character for the film for later stuff oh um what do you think of the 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 school scene the famous <laughs> school attack scene i think it's quite cool apart from wolverine killing the film but there's nothing wrong with wolverine it's wolverine what do you want um, I thought it was fun. It was sort of set piece. I like that there's layers of things going on upstairs and downstairs yeah. at the same time. Bobby, once again, Bobby and his famous use of lifts from the first film. <laughs> now in the second, he, film, loves he has it. to use the lift. Um, Done with X-Men alive. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think it's a fun little scene. Aside from Rogue and being apart from all like, by what herself. What is it? Will we get in backwash? Is it drink as well? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's nice, isn't it? Um, but yes, it's, it's a good little scene. Um, and it's good that it sets up that connection between Striker and Wolverine. Um, and it added mystery. Yeah. And also it sets up a, another fucking Wolverine joke later, which we'll get to. Um... Back at Stryker's base, and we see a, dis a discussion between him and a mentally and physically restrained Charles, where he talks about his son before weeding him out, and how you know, he's done some surgery on on the mutant as well. He's on Jason. He's done brain surgery clearly, but he talked about how Jason had the power to project illusions in people's minds, and so his wife, losing her mind, bored out. The illusions yeah. with a drill to the side of her temple, which kind of humanizes his motivations or his delusions in his choices to an extent. Um, obviously, he's still wrong, he's still a bad guy, yeah. but you can see why he's gone mad and thinks this is the right thing. Um, he's referenced, referenced now as Mutant 143 because he doesn't even see his son as being alive anymore. A striker leaves and immediately Jason enters Charles's mind or manipulates okay. it. Uh, it turns out that the stuff they're dropping on people's necks is from Jason's brain, secreted by it, and it wouldn't affect Charles. But it is acidic for some reason, so uh, that's really disturbing. Like it secretes acid brain sort of hypnotizing. I think it's just to like give effect isn't it yeah so you can link the audience can link together yeah yeah 
And you can see that he's using it on his PA yeah. as well. Yeah, because at one point you see it like starting almost to break. Realizing, and he's like, oh. <laughs> and he obviously, this is the point where Charles says, You keep interesting company for somebody who doesn't like mutants. And she's not a mutant, technically, but you know. In this, she's a mutant, I suppose. Um, at Bobby's house, the gang arrive and Bobby gets close for everyone. Before watching Rogue change. Oh, yeah. He turns around and he's like, I want to look back. Are all mutants creeps? Yes, including Bobby. Bob, Bobby's definitely a creep. Uh, Logan attempts to use the phone but can't. Pyro looks at Bobby's family with jealousy. At least that's what I think he's going for. Bobby then pressures Rogue into kissing him again like a fucking idiot. <laughs> I don't understand what he's getting. I, I, I can why, understand what it, but what, why? You know she's going to kill you. Why is he? Why is he assume he's the one person who won't be hurt by it? I mean, like, Wolverine almost died. For I him. know they're dumb kids, right? But yeah. still, like Magneto and Wolverine have already, and she, he can see her hair is because of what happened to her. And she knows it well, but she still goes to kick like. Uh, and that's, oh, don't get that's, <laughs> Dumb teens. That's all it is. Um, Wolverine steals a beer. And almost kills the family cat. <laughs> like you'd think he'd know he could smell and hear a cat, but no, he's just like claws to the cat's face. He's like, as as you cat. cat murderer. Um, before Bobby's cat uh, family, Bobby's family, Bobby's cat walks in, discovers him. Bobby's family walks in just quickly enough to put his claws away. But, uh, just so you know, uh, they put a bit of tea on Wolverine's claws, and that's why the cat's licking the claws at the. And oh. it's just licking up the tea off the end of his claw. He does like tea, that cat. Yeah, cats do like a bit of tea. Uh, at, at the prison, Lorio, the guard, brings Eric his lunch, but he detects something about him. He resists his commands and lifts the guard into the air with his will, pulling iron dust through his chest, through his skin, through his pores. He says, too much iron in your blood. Um, which is a fun line. Uh, with it, he crafts three ball bearings, sort of sized orbs of metal, using them to smash the prison in front of him and free himself. He then flattens one of them into a disc and stands on it and glides them. gently with across. His arms crossed as well. With like, the, board, the orbs dancing around it's him. It's quite a cool scene, though. Fantastic scene. Yeah. It's wonderful. And it's like, again, he's like really powerful character, both as a character and his abilities and they use subtlety and minimalism yeah. to show how powerful he is um, he then starts using the two ball bearings as bullets to kill the two guards and smash his way out of the prison with a fantastic evil look on his face at Bobby's house he discusses his mutancy with his parents in a scene that is meant to reflect coming out as gay to one's family I can imagine. Which is why, you know, obviously that line, have you ever tried not being I was a mutant? like, woman, please. That's, that's very heavy-handed. But I just turn it off, so I switch off the switch of being yeah. a mutant. Um, and we find out that Bobby's brother is a homophobe. I mean, mutant-phobe. Because um, he goes upstairs and calls the police on these people just standing around, you know. He looks so evil. He looks so angry as well. Mm-hmm. As if his brother chose to be a mutant, like. Yeah. See? See how easy the metaphors work? It's great. <laughs> Interesting fact. Iceman 
is gay in the comics now. Really? Yeah. So you got you got over Jean Grey then? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, don't <laughs> think, I don't think Iceman was with Jean Grey at any point. Oh, that's why. <laughs> Jubilee. Jubilee. No, Rogue, you're thinking. Rogue, yeah. Jubilee's a bit younger than Iceman. Um, I think, yeah, I think he had relationships with a couple of other people, but eventually he just comes out and it's like, no, I'm gay. Um, which is interesting, considering it's him who's being used yeah. as a character for in this situation. Um, then we discover the mutant gene is male transferred, so men are responsible for mutancy. On the Blackbird, Storm chats to Kurt about hate, oppression, fear and faith. Um, and he talks about how each of his markings are for a sin. I assume a sin he's committed in his own head. Um, it's an okay scene, but uh, famously more scenes were written for Storm because she'd just won the Oscar and they wanted to give her more lines and kind of and that's fine it's again if they if they'd been deliberately sort of crafted more for the characters previously and not sort of inserted yeah. scenes it would have been a little bit more naturalistic but it's a fine scene to have in the in the film after arranging to pick up Logan uh notices after a re- sorry I'm going to go back after arranging a pickup Logan notices police have arrived they're in the bushes like all, like all police are, they're in the bushes. Yeah, like, oh, got to find a house. Um, and a standoff ensues. A heavy-handed police work, shock, sees police break in and Logan's shot in the head, point blank, before Pyro blows his shit and possibly kills several policemen and women blowing up cars in the area. It's an all right sort of showing of his powers. It's not like... Uh, as good a scene as the other ones with Magneto and no, they use it, it's a bit CG heavy it's a, it's a bit just bomb, not not even bombastic it's kind of clunky yeah. some of the stuff that's going on but um, but Rogue stops him by draining his powers she's holding onto his leg for a very long time I find yeah I find it a bit too long because normally he would because when she had Wolverine for that like less than that he almost died like yeah the Blackbird arrives though and the guys leave oh, what do you think so far this is about the halfway point and uh, we've just had that interesting scene with Bobby's family and uh, the escape of Magneto. So, again, that was... I think the, Mag- the escape of Magneto is the best. And that's the part I remember, actually, from the film. For some reason, I guess it's quite... He, he's really good at playing power with subtlety. Yeah. Like he knows he's superior, so he doesn't need to show it off, yeah. really. He's doing the minimal he needs to do what he wants. I feel like he he's perfect for Magneto, the actor. Mm. Like him and uh, him and uh, Patrick Stewart. I do like, yeah. I just I feel like they get Patrick the character. Stewart just comes from the page yeah. practically yeah. as well. Um, it's almost like the perfect casting of, you'd say, Robert Downey Jr. and Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Those two characters are also like pristinely casted. Even Thor, to an extent, later on. Yeah. Like, although he comes into his own character, that character's changed quite a lot. But, like, you know, that's Thor. Yeah. <laughs> that's Thor right there. Like, like more more likely in more recent years, like, again, like Spider-Man now, that, that is the Peter Parker I know. Not the slightly older-looking teenager <laughs> from the other f- versions. 
but this sort of wiry, thinner yeah. framed, athletic built sort of character. So like like you say, like Xavier and Magneto, they are perfect. Yeah, casting. perfect. Yeah. Um, I think many people would say Wolverine or Logan is, but because I've got that thing in the back of my head where he's supposed to be two foot shorter. Oh. He's supposed to be literally a Wolverine. That's why he's called Wolverine. He's sort of squat and muscular and ugly. I feel like Harry Bay does Storm quite well as well. Sort of, like maybe... I think she looks the part. Oh, that's, yeah. I don't think she... Clearly there's no accent going on no. there. But also, I, she's... It's... Her performance is a bit wooden. Yeah. Um... There are flashes of moments, like in that scene I talked about, where she talks about anger being a key for survival. Yeah. It's not great script yeah. she's working from, but she's trying yeah. there. But I don't think she quite embodies the character. Yeah. I think the the second girl who plays Storm, the younger Storm, is far more appropriate. As if I've seen that one. We'll get to it. Yeah. Like and she looks like the younger Storm, Storm. the punk Storm oh. from the earlier comics. So I appreciate that too. Kind of half, I'm half and half on Storm. <laughs> um, and like even Cyclops. I don't, you see, I, I, know, I don't know. Like he's like people don't like Cyclops. They do they? I guess if I can't get behind an actor either, I don't know. It's something about like. Yeah, he's not had much chance. To that's the point. I don't think he's, the, he's mostly the script as well. It doesn't really. He looks the part. I don't don't think he's. He's better than people give him credit yeah. for. Um, it's interesting that casting can just make a role. Like when it comes time to recast all those characters, I think the Wolverine, Xavier, and Magneto—they're the hardest ones to cut. They'll be the like, hardest. I mean, the fact they recast them once already for younger versions of them and managed to somehow maybe just about get away with it. I think a young Magneto. Fastbender is perfectly cast for a young version, maybe. Yeah. But he obviously they're aging each film they were aging up and that didn't work. <laughs> but the very first of those films he looked like he could be. Um, but not the young Xavier, not, not no, I didn't like I, no. recasting Mystique. Mystique's never really aged. So having a younger version of her is kind of weirdly at odds. With I feel like Mystique's pretty easy character to cast because most of it is just yeah, like... Yeah, yeah, well, if they'd managed to cast somebody who wasn't snooty about being yeah. painted blue... That's the... Yeah. You know, and then being about being paid to be in these films, she was really resistant about <laughs> these films later on. We'll get to all that later. We, But yes, as we were saying, <laughs> that's a fantastic scene. It's perfectly acted, perfectly played. I like I, I appreciate that McKellen and uh Stuart both respect the work and the 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 scripts and the the integrity of the stuff they're doing, even on what could be considered frivolous yeah. sort of material. Um that they can see a message there, especially McKellen being gay as well. I think he really appreciates okay. the message. Um anyway. So we're on the Blackbird and Logan is immediately a dick to Kurt. He's just introducing himself. He's like, whatever. Like he asks who he is and then pretty much gives him the Kurt finger. Like, I'm from the set. He's like, I don't care, mate. 
one <laughs> so Wolverine's an arsehole but that's kind of Wolverine anyway. you're not Jean Grey so I don't care yes <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to really sound like I hate Wolverine aren't I? <laughs> um, we'll get on to what I think of Wolverine's behaviour uh, in a heavily cut scene Jason is manipulating Charles's mind which we mentioned earlier mm. Cyclops is, Cyclops comes in breaks him out and they get back to the mansion and then he realises he's been manipulated and then they're back at the mansion again. And then um, you see meet, you see him meeting the little girl and they head off to go and find the mutants. They'll use Cerebro, he says. As the Blackbird arrives at the mansion, two fightercrafts appear and repeatedly request them to lower their altitude. They act like, though, they can't hear what they're saying yeah. and are somehow shocked when the fighter pilots lock onto them after threatening <laughs> that they would do something. Like, I mean, they, they can resist. I just don't like that they're being ignorant about it, you know? What? Um, Storm and Jean attempt to stop the attack using their powers, but Rogue is uh, somehow unable to buckle her seatbelt for a good fucking ten minutes. I thought I was like... I know it's important for, for the... the plot point of her being sucked out of the plane but even that doesn't last for more, more than a few moments because that's just yeah, that's a reason I mean. to show off that Nightcrawler can it was unnecessary to show like we know what Nightcrawler can do anyway it makes like... her look even more useless she can't escape the mansion by herself she doesn't know where she is in there she can't do a seatbelt at all <laughs> what can you do um so she gets sucked out she did her own stunt though the actress did it that's her oh. that's not a, a stunt woman and Kurt very easily and quickly saves her. Rogue is useless. Suddenly the jet is repaired and levels out. Oh, look, is Magnet Man and Bluebee. Fantastic scene as well. Again. Yeah. <laughs> when will these people learn to fly? <laughs> I was like... <laughs> and that's not just a reference to the plane. Um, Rogue and Jean Grey are supposed to be able to fly. When are the characters going to use their powers? Well, He's also sort of nodding to... Um, that night, Nightcrawler watches as the adults talk. For some reason, he's not involved in the conversation. And Rogue finally thanks up, thanks Kurt for saving her. It must have been several hours later. Magneto explains Stryker's plans, and for the second film in a row, he corrects Wolverine and puts him and the audience in their place, telling us that it's not all about Wolverine. <laughs> like, like, yes. it's like in the first film it's like why do you want to abduct me I don't please go away and this film is like oh but I can't remember where this all is we weren't talking to no. you mate it was somebody else and then it, t it turns out it's Kurt they all need to use to find out the information they want so Jean uses her powers to dive into Kurt's head and discovers where Stryker is underneath Alkali Lake and Wolverine's like, I've been there, mate. I've done nothing there. That's perfect. Thank you. Um, and she's like, Well, duh, it's underneath where you went, you idiot. Like, it shows that he just gave up straight away and came back home. Um, took his ball home. So the, the guys all get ready and they pull out tents to prepare for the next day. Um, Later, Wolverine comes to Jean as she's leaving the plane and asks how she is. 
and he starts acting as if they were a thing. Now, let's remember here, they've had minimal interaction yes. over two films. There are two or three scenes together, aside from the action scene at the end of the first film. Both of those scenes, he just came onto a Actually really him, pretty much no. no. And then in this interaction, he's still coming on a bit hard, and he's like, oh, come on, you know. And she's like, I'm not interested, mate. <laughs> You know, but I'm in love with Scott. She's really clear about it. And she's like, she says him no, and he grabs her and forces a kiss on her anyway. Like, all mutants are creeps. All mutant boys are creeps. All mutant men, you know. Kurt briefly interacts with Mystique, who's been watching on at this time, and he asks her about her appearance, um, as in why she's not always in disguise. And she says, because we shouldn't have to. Um, again, nodding to just in society, people shouldn't have to be hidden away. Note again, she's talking to her son. Um, but is that a son in this universe, though? Possibly. Possibly. Because you never find out. Do no, we don't know. I mean, future films kind of wreck on the idea of her being much older. But you don't really know what's going on with her. She's been all over the place, even even in the film universe. Discussing Mystique and her... Mystique and her parentage yeah. of... Uh, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler, yes. So you never know. I think it's unlikely based on what happens in the future yeah. films. But, you know... In in the actual comic lore, though... I mean, yeah. she's Rogue's mum, yeah. too. And it's interesting... Like adopted mum. It's interesting, Rogan Kurt, the, the, he saves her. And then she thanks him. There's a, a little tiny bit of interaction. Uh, she then sneaks into Logan's tent and attempts her own sexual assault through her powers. I find it's quite funny. It's a good, nice turnaround for the books, isn't it? You'd think he'd be able to smell her. Because he does it, he does it in a first. Yeah, I think I think he does. But she's st- like he still does have really high... Like ability yeah. to smell the differences in people and stuff. It's in his it's his scar that he gave her that gives away that she's not Jean. And then she turns into Storm and then she turns into Rogue. It's only when she's Rogue that he's really freaked out because she's young, you know. Maybe she should go to Bobby's. She's a strike as well, don't she? At the end. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah no. What do you yeah. want, man? Yeah, she even tries some striker kink. <laughs> which I'm like, oh, maybe. Um, the next morning the team fly to their destination and Rogue gets angry after Magneto compliments her hair maybe point out that at the end of the first film she's quite happy oh. with her new hair so the fact he's given her a compliment should be quite nice he has that great line with, what, with, with Pyro like a god, a god amongst men or something he says you are a god among insects never let anyone tell you different I love that line so. <laughs> yeah he he does kind of bond with Pyro. But I like that Rogue thinks that she's going to punish Magneto, but I'm just going to take my glove off and walk over to you. It's like she has no super strength. Oh, well, he would just she's snap not, you in half yeah, with some magnetic... Yeah, 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 like, like, you're on a for... Bobby's just like, no, love, calm down. You can't put a seatbelt on. <laughs> what are you going to do? You can't even wear a seatbelt on. <laughs> she's just painted so useless. No wonder she's deleted from that Days of Future Past version. 
Um, I've found a copy of the Rogue Cut, oh. so that's going to be interesting to watch. Um, so yes, Magneto and Pyro have a little bonding session, and he, he does say that you know, great line. You know, never let anybody tell you any different. And then at the dam, Stryker readies his plans as he's watching the kids being electrocuted in their cage. On the Blackbird, the mutants make plans to send in Mystique as Wolverine, because Wolverine is thick, is essentially the, the rules. Like Magneto's like, what are you going to do? Stab it with your claws. It's kind of pseudo, like, yeah. what is he going <laughs> to... So, yeah, uh, although... Yes, that's what he does later on in the film. He yeah. stabs it with his claws to close the gates. So technically... Well, that won't work in real life. But... No, no. <laughs> um, it's good because she's also an astounding fighter. Breaking away from Stryker's guards and into his control room. She takes out like everyone in the room and slides backwards, giving the uh -huh. finger to everyone. I strike that. I know my own work. You can see oh. why... like they could see a possibility of her being a central character in the later films, even if she was played by someone else. I think the only reason they made her a central character for real is because a relatively well-known actress ends up playing her. Um, or somebody well, who becomes so well-known. Because you could do so much to her. Yeah. Someone that can change. Although it's a shame she wasn't used as proper. So she, she starts off quite villainous yeah. and quite intelligent and then in later comics she is an X-Man I think so there's a lot of depth to the character especially with her history of other characters there's so much potential you could use but anyway um, you know a lot of these characters are stripped back in later films this why X-Men would be a great TV show mm. Disney make it a TV series they've made some great TV series well, but, I mean if you want a live action TV series do that that's an interesting one I didn't think to mention the um, Gifted right oh, yeah. The central characters in that TV series are the Von Struckers. Oh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's a nice little, little uh, piece of fact there to take away. Anyway. Um, she gets into the, the the control room, knocks out the two guards and is in control of everything. Um, yeah, what do you think so far? She's like, quick base touch. Quick base touch. This is like the, this is where he's moving up to this one. Yeah, we're just about to run into the the, the final act. Yeah, um, I think that's pretty well setting it all up, getting it all F one in the same place. Hmm. I not like ham. Most people, even the Magneto, a bit round him like he was there, but hey, mm. when he picked up the plane, but it's convenient <laughs> that he knew the plane was going to be there. <laughs> but they do say they're over the X mansion. Magneto would go to the X mansion. He's, he's probably watching it all yeah. going above, above his head. So it's not out. But it wasn't. It's not too ham. It's not like oh, there's this. But yeah, they all get together and. Just... Uh, when you consider that the the final act point starting point for the first film, where it is compared to this, yeah. like this is longer. More has happened, but it also feels breezier. Yeah. It's more interesting. Like it's got a good pace to yeah. each and everything. Everybody's going back and forth. You know. And it makes night. his new characters in quite well. Mm. It's like night and day yeah. at this point. And there's there's all these different things happening in this place. Like, the bad guys, the human bad guys, are not very good. Yeah. That's probably the weak point. Like, they aren't competent and they aren't super deep. 
aside from Striker using his son to manipulate Giles, and that's probably the weakest story beats so far. Is like you don't get a lot of Charles, mm. like because of the timing and the pacing of the Charles yeah. stuff, you can't really. But it's really good film. Yeah, like you feel odd saying it, but it's a really good film compared to the other one. Um, X Men one's fine; it's just passable at this point. But it, like, it hasn't. Aged this almost feels like this would be a great X Men one. Yeah, if you didn't have to introduce all the characters, yeah. this would be a fantastic sort of movie to introduce people. Um, although I do appreciate the that original reveal of the school in the first film. <laughs> That's kind of like an advert for the school. <laughs> all the uplifting music and stuff. Um, so the mutants break in and take out men on the way. Uh, in Charles's mind... He leads the mutant girl into Cerebro, although we see it phasing in and out of the Cerebro, Cerebro facility. No. And uh, Stryker heads into Cerebro and convinces Charles via Jason to kill all the mutants or starts influencing him into that. As they approach Cerebro, Jean saves Magneto and Mystique from an attack from, surprise, Cyclops. Oh who's being hypnotised with the with juice stuff from Jason's brain. Meanwhile, we cut to a shot of the kids in their cell. Kurt is clearly already in the background of the cell, because you can see an outline yeah. of a figure. But then he's up with Storm, and they're, and they're like, oh, help us. So then he teleports down and steps into the light. And it's like, on, especially on a big TV, you can definitely see the actors already there. Like, it's like, wait up there, Kurt, wait there. Yeah, yeah, come wait, wait for, come, the, come. Sorry for the scene. There you go. Um, you can forgive it, but it's like it's too obvious. It's like seeing him there. It's like seeing the badder book or something. <laughs> Just seeing hidden in the dark. It's like, is there a man there? That's creepy. Watching these kids, that's just hot. That's off. Um, uh, then we see him outside and he teleports in and gets the kids out. Uh, Gene and Scott have a fight that damages the dam, causing permanent structural integrity issues, and Stryker starts to panic for <laughs> some reason. He's like, no! And he runs. I, I, guess that was almost... about, I guess he's worried about the power cutting off, so before... No, he wants it to work out, but he doesn't actually do anything that would make any difference anyway. I know, I was thinking, I was like... He's like, no! And then he's like, oh, I'll leave. It's fine. I'm sure it'll work out. Um, Scott is okay, but something is wrong says Jean and then nothing happens for a good little while <laughs> obviously she's supposed to be feeling Cerebro ahead of everybody else but still Wolverine makes his way through the lab and finds the adamantium lab um, and we see evidence of mutants with wings and claws and things like that they, the, these are references to Angel yeah. who's being made into Archangel with the metal wings um, there's another one with sort of a frilled skull he appears in one of the other films, but I can't remember his name. Um, I think he appears in the next film. He's got sort of spikes coming out of his skin. Can't remember. We'll, I'll point him out to you when we watch the next film. Um, and obviously the person with long claw fingers will meet in a second. Um, Stryker turns up and he explains adamantium has to be hot because when it cools, it becomes indestructible. This is because it's an alloy. It's not an individual metal. It's a combination of two metals. Oh. So you melt the two metals, mix them together, and they become adamantium. 
Um, so technically, you know, that's why. Small note, why aren't Wolverine's teeth Mel? <laughs> anyway, um, it's an alloy, so it can't be heated twice. But don't worry about all that, because it's time for a claw fight. Yeah. As Lady Deathstrike, or Deathstrike, makes her knuckles finally crack into long, spiky no. fingers, and they have a good old fight while Striker runs away. Um, it's, a, it's a nice little fight, this. Like, visceral. Wolverine gets his ass kicked. And you like. actually see some blood. Yeah. Um, but it's, And he does, yeah. He does pretty much get his ass kicked. But uh, it's... it's um, you know, it could be a better fight. It's, it's memorable, but it's a shame she wasn't developed into a real character. I kind of feel so funny as well. You're supposed to, obviously. Like, in the, well, the way he beats her. Because um, it's not really her fault. She's no. just being controlled. And Wolverine's only way of solving things is to kill, to kill things. <laughs> yeah. Um, meanwhile, the teens are getting bored on the Blackbird, so John leaves, and then the other two just sit there and go, whatever. They just don't go. Oh, don't go. Please come back. Sort of nonchalance to just trying to stop him. Oh, please. Oh. Um, the claw fight ends as Wolverine stabs um, Deathstrike in the stomach with a liquid metal injector and she solidifies from the inside out. And she's not. She's falls to the bottom of that. Uh, like you see her, eye, her eyes change from blue to brown. And just, just sadness. It's quite sad. Face. She looks quite well. And then she just, yeah, sinks into the vat and her head cranks on the bottom. And you think, Wolverine, you fucking monster. You just killed an innocent person, pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah. He wasn't to know, was he? He won't care anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he doesn't care. Like, he has like his moral compass is one away from being the Punisher. Not frankly, <laughs> well, it is quite. It is pretty much. Um, uh, Magneto takes out the last guards and heads to Cerebro. He he pulls out all their rings, yeah. their grenades, and they all just blow up. And to finally pop his helmet on, conveniently, good timing, uh, as everybody else collapses as Charles begins killing the world's population of mutants all at once. Magneto breaks into Cerebro and turns the tables, using Mystique to turn into Striker and using her to convince Jason to kill all the non-mutants. I'm saying non-mutants because he actually says humans, which technically, in Charles's interpretation, Isn't would mutant. be everybody, mutant or otherwise. I love the way he points at the helmet while that guy looks. He's like, <laughs> I've got a helmet on, you couldn't stop me. Um, yeah, I love that. Outside, apparently, we'll go back to that helmet. The first helmet in the first film was so uncomfortable, he insisted that it be redesigned for the second film because he couldn't wear it anymore. Um, Magneto, outside, uh, Wolverine finds Striker and stabs him through the chest, like, pins him against this helicopter. Which is probably a bad idea because he's probably going to drain the, the fuel from the helicopter. How did he not die as well then? It depends where he stabbed him, I suppose. I guess. That's um, three knives in your back though. <laughs> yes. Well, six. six well. Um, Wolverine hears an alarm and rushes to the dam with Striker explaining what's going on after binding him to the chopper's wheels. Uh, we see the world... Uh, the, the, why did I write that? Um, the world map. 
yeah, yeah, sure. We see the world screaming. Yes, that's why, right? Because oh. everybody's losing their minds. We see all the people in the world screaming as the mutants make a plan. Jean says they can't open the door with Charles attached, even though Magneto did, and it was fine. Oh, he did, really? Yeah. And he rearranged Cerebro as well whilst he was in there. Yeah, <laughs> should all the mutants be dead then? Um, interesting note, this is the point in which you would have seen during the mutant torture, all of the mental mutant mm. torture scenes, uh, both Gambit, Remini Debut, sitting at a poker table, being affected by the mind stuff and his powers going off and you would have seen beast hank mccoy the same actor yeah. from the tv um in pain on the floor but him transforming into the Why show that it was such a little they si- even filmed it that's something such a little i don't know it's such a little thing maybe it's, it's because they didn't think they'd explained who he was enough and then just seeing this random man turning into it's a blue for, i guess it'd be more for the comic people they were like oh yeah yeah, yeah. but uh, <laughs> i guess it's a shame that they didn't decide to put that stuff in but it doesn't put an extended version, way. You know. yeah yeah um let's scroll down outside wolverine finds striker blah 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 uh anyway kurt teleports in with storm and they break through jason's illusion using the cold um freeing charles just in time but jason is crushed under falling rubble they don't bother to try saving the poor guy. No, a person. Like, it's an innocent, yeah, innocent casualty. He's not even just an innocent casualty. He's been exploited oh. and tortured and had surgery done on him. It's like... At this point, Charles is obviously... Couldn't have done it, it kind of goes back to the, the first film where all the bad guys are ugly. Yeah. Aside from Magneto. But she's like, not actually ugly, but she's like a blue yeah. woman. You know, and covered in weird scales, and Sabretooth is just a hulking hair monster, and acts like a bear man, and Toad don't get started on Toad. You know, like it's like all that coding of if you are ugly or weird looking, you're therefore bad. you're bad. It's the same thing, really. Essentially, like if somebody's like you've you've been used to do a bad thing, you are bad yourself. You deserve to die. It's like what a shame. <laughs> you know, anyway, that's just me going off on one for about not saving that poor wheelchair-bound torture victim. Um, uh, well, anyway, the rubble falls down, and Wolverine turns up and stops them running out the spillway because it's flooding. How they can't hear the clearly flooding water coming down the spillway, um, but Wolverine uses his claws to close the door and save them. Like you do. And then the gang escape and get to the Blackbird. Because the Blackbird is being flown by Rogue. Who... <laughs> I'm like, what is going on here? Come on. <laughs> like, of all people, that Rogue is just useless. <laughs> like, she managed to take off the, the plane, at least. But that's probably because it's quite automated. And then she, and then she crashes the fucking she thing. She's what is Bobby doing at this point? I can't, he's like, sitting there. Like, that's all she seems to do, is bumble about. And she wonders why she doesn't have a uniform yet. <laughs> oh, I don't know. This storm's like, it's okay. You keep off the good Yeah, just her holding on to them desperately. Um, so they all get aboard the Blackbird and Logan uh, and Snake Kid turn and head off to find Stryker. And I don't know why they take his woman, though. I don't know. <laughs> and it's cause, so they can bookend him with the tongue thing at the end. Oh, oh yeah, I guess, yeah. Um, 
but it's like strikers like oh what is it Wolverine you will never find truth or peace or whatever with them and he's like I'd rather go with them and takes off his dog tag and leaves it there to be flooded with everything else and then he just leaves a man to die a terrible terrible death like shouldn't he be going to prison or something no um and they get into the pain but wait as they attempt to leave they have trouble and there's no time Shock to do horror. anything Jean realises what must be done I mean I should thought like, this is Rogue's fault as well all of this <laughs> she, <laughs> she crashed the plane rope. she just <laughs> left it parked Jean she heads outside and uses her powers to hold back the oncoming flood of the dam bursting and lifts the blackbird with her other arm or her mental powers while talking simultaneously through Charles and preventing Kurt from using his powers. I know what I'm doing. This is the only way. Jeep, listen to me. Don't do this. Yeah, like this, this uh, like coming up party. This this character's yeah, become yeah. all powerful now. Um, lifting the blackbird long enough to allow the team to escape before being swallowed in first flame and then flood. Scott is devastated by the loss. You know, seeing her as an actual person and not a sect object. Although Wolverine keeps on repeating the words, "She's gone." He's like, she I mean, told Wolverine, you, Scott. Wolverine's not completely like a lost cause oh. but he's still it's an interesting point to note that the cast didn't know about this story twist of her dying at the end until at least halfway through the production no. she she didn't know before it was happening so that's interesting um i mean it, i don't think it would have really gotten away and made much of a difference no. to the feel of the film but it's interesting they kept it from the um as they realise she's gone, Kurt prays and the mutants leave. We later rejoin the Oval Office as the President is about to make an address. It's interrupted by storms and suddenly darkness and everybody being frozen. Stop motion. Charles and the surviving mutants have arrived. He discusses with the President what's to come. And the whole team has costumes now, except for Kurt, obviously. You know, good for them. And the gang talks about Jean's death and uh, back at the storm. And classes start. And Charles references the book, uh, Man, uh, Once and Future King, yeah. which Magneto was reading in prison. And Logan again makes it about him by saying Jean chose Scott. I was like, that is so unnecessary. And Jean, and Scott's just like... Because his last moment with Jimmy, she was saying, I love you, like... <laughs> like, 
what what are you even doing here as well thinking this like you turned up once or twice like Scott's lived with this woman for years she this chose point. you mate of course she did We've, like they probably would be married by now if it weren't for the just the situation they all live in um it's just what a dick like what self like he's tr- he's like he's the self-centered arsehole thinking he's saying the nice thing yeah. you know anyway um as credits roll the flood over alkali lake shows a faint fire under the surface how do you see that and Gene narrates the opening to the first film where Xavier was talking about mutation. Oh, yeah. It's exactly the same sort of lines as the first film. Um, so, yes. Do you think Xavier censored at the end of Because he looks out the window at one point. He does, yeah. That's supposed to be Xavier sensing that she's still somewhere out there. He, he seems really happy after that. He's like, it's all good yeah, now. Yeah, that's sort of, yeah. But maybe that's just him imagining it in his yeah, head. He doesn't yeah. know. It doesn't, yeah. But that is supposed to be a sense of um, him feeling her out there. So yes, what do you... Now, we've watched three X-Men films and we'll even include the Blade trilogy in this so <laughs> far. I think this is probably the best of the six films we've seen. Undoubtedly better than at Generation X. Yeah. Definitely better than X-Men. It's probably better than Blade One, but it's quite close. Blade One, I quite like Blade One, but Blade One's a unique thing. Yeah, but no, I think this is still probably better. I didn't scripting, pacing, yeah. everything's yeah. planned out better. All the all the stuff that's set up and paid off. Yeah, you know, the Jean stuff, even the hidden t- hidden Easter eggs and the the bits where she's seeing the future and not. It feels like it. a more complete comic book movie. Yeah, like. I think maybe the multiple script stages and yeah. taking bits from this classic story because the first film seems to be a standalone original story you know it almost like feels like a tef- like a pilot film yeah, yeah. to see if it does well well it certainly <laughs> did turn into a series didn't it so, yeah um, but yeah like I, I think it's still a far stronger film than many films of its genre yeah. and I'm almost surprised about that because my last viewing of this before now didn't feel quite as good but watching it I suppose watching all the other films that we have <laughs> oh um, yeah it's actually yeah, it's good it's a massive leap from Generation X I suppose um, there were problems there the fact they keep recasting some characters and they've cut certain things but I guess that's the point when you have a I guess when the first one play a pilot they're like oh mm-hmm. do we want to recast it the same actress like yeah, and obviously some lesser characters can't always yeah. come back. Um, but the most, for the most part, the the general set of characters are are, are set now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's probably the best of the six films so far. And it's like it's it's got action, but it's not over the top. Oh. It's, it's got some bombast, but the the, the each set piece is self-contained yeah. and reasonable um yeah I, I really appreciated this film oddly it's like last dance come up next the best of x yeah 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 so the best of the x i actually love this film so yeah. i was here for a while so we'll see what i think yeah, how, long, how long are we talking for a while uh, probably about seven years i've not seen last Dance. oh interesting 
Well, um, but yeah, I still we... I still can still remember the film though in my head, so so I know all the. You can remember, I'm sure you can remember some of it, but like again with all these, you go back and there's like the tone will feel yeah. different. Certain characters and scenes will feel different. Obviously, there's two cuts to that film and some scenes, so there's a relationship that's very different. I can't remember. Through, I can't um, remember. But so it'd be interesting to get into. Unless on Disney Plus, so yeah. Yeah, I've got the Blu-ray down. So I'm going to be watching the Blu-ray version oh. of it. It's the first of the Blu-rays, finally. Um, I finally find versions of one and two on Blu-ray, but <laughs> too late for this. Um, so I believe we'll have ex- extras and stuff to dig into as well. Um, but yeah, so if anybody wants to watch the next episode before the next episode, watch the next film before the next episode. Um, yes, it is X Men. Last Stand. Last Stand. Not X Three. They cut it. Is it even called it? It's not. It's called X Men Last Stand, is it? Yeah. It's no, <laughs> there's no number involved. Um. And so yeah. Feel free to watch that, and uh, we have an email address that comes with our new YouTube channel. So there's loads of links that are going to be in in the 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 details for the chat the episode, and this will go up on the YouTube channel and on my personal YouTube, but also be on your Patreon and all the other things. Everything's linked to everything. <laughs> Timeline Pod, yes, all one word. Timeline Pod at gmail dot com. If you have any uh, views, opinions, if you watched any of the previous films or listened to any of the previous episodes, if you want to ask us any questions any or feedback. send us any feedback or you want to talk about this last episode's film, anything that stands out, any of your favourite things. If you've got anything you want to say about X-Men The Last Stand, um, just pop in Last Stand in the title and then share your thoughts and views about that episode, that uh, film before the episode airs or records. And that's it. That's actually quite a, a nifty, quick sort of episode we've recorded, yeah. even with interruptions. Only two hours today. Oh. Like the other films, despite being shorter and having less going on in them, took longer to mm. talk about. I suppose all the Auschwitz stuff yeah. from X-Men didn't help. But, you know, I think that's uh, that says a lot about the quality of the film. It's like a breezy, fun, interesting... Those thoughtful, yeah. well-constructed film, despite its director. <laughs> Although the director, in a in a competent sense, it was well directed. Um, I'm sure the second unit directors helped. I <laughs> know <laughs> the cameraman helped as well. Yeah, everybody else on. The, I mean, it's not one man who does no. all the work. Obviously, the director normally gets all the credit, but normally say it's a team effort, is it? Yeah. Um. So yes, that was a good film. Very good film. It'd be interesting to see if uh, Last Stand holds up as well does in my mind sir yeah Um, once again we want to thank our Patreon supporter Mike Wong shout out to Mr. Wong shout out to Mr. Wong for all your support yeah Um, if you want to support us the Patreon details will be in the details underneath the podcast and on our Twitter and on the YouTube channel, it's everywhere. Um, you can also feel free again to email us at the uh, email. Um, anyway, so yes, thank you for joining us. And um, wow, that was a fun ride. Until the next time. Until the next time. 2021. <laughs>
just thinking maybe she should go over to Bobby's tent and then give him what he's always <laughs> wanted to not mention it to anybody in the morning. Um, anyway. <laughs> that could create some awkward... Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> oh, I didn't know you could turn your powers off. What's that, Bobby? <laughs> <laughs> 